and then it turned out it was an egg. <laughs> Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the USS Adequate. Our continuing mission until we are cancelled and replaced by something better. To review every episode and movie of Star Trek in existence. To seek out new guests and make them very uncomfortable. To boldly go where many other Star Trek based YouTube shows have gone before. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning everybody. Welcome to another episode of Trekking Up North. I am your host as ever, Captain Goodwill. And joining me as ever is the... De Hang on a minute. He looked... Oh no, that's not Science Officer's noise. That's Mirror Universe noise. Oh my god, he's <laughs> back. Surprise, fuckers. I wondered why you weren't laughing. It is I, Mirror Universe Sinois, or as I like to call myself, Sinois, because the Mirror Universe is your thing, because I, how it works, but anyway, <laughs> okay. normal Sinois, or as I'd like to call him, uh, technically what he says to Lee should count as sexual harassment, Sinois, <laughs> isn't here today, because he couldn't be fucked reviewing this bloody film. Is this film that bad that you had to come from another dimension just to review it? This film... Another universe. I'm going to put it in context. This film, I fell asleep for 20 minutes while watching it. And so I rewound it to see what I'd missed. And I hadn't missed anything. That's, that's what this film is. <laughs> if you haven't guessed already, everybody out there, we are beginning our movie reviews this year, starting off with Star Trek Juan, the motion picture. Is that the Mexican version? Juan, yes. Is that the Mexican? I needed Star the Mexican version because it was actually more enjoyable. <laughs> the um... <laughs> Star Trek Juan, Senor the Cook. motion picture. Ah, come the Mexican picture. <laughs> come esta, Senor Spock. Um, no. <laughs> We are reviewing Star Trek The Motion Picture this week here on Trekking Up North. But before we get into that, Mirror Universe Sonoise, or as you like to be called, Sonoise, how has your week been? Been all right. Can't really complain. Same old, same old. You know, bit of apples and pears. Bit of how's your father. Bit of putting geese in bins, you know, letting them out. Feeling a bit guilty about it. Giving them money afterwards. Then buying property. Getting on the housing market. Slowly taking over our economy. You know, usual thing. Cool. I've been painting. <laughs> Finger painting? Or... Uh, it feels like it. I am <laughs> in the process of renovating my home, uh, starting with the redecoration of my living room, um, mm. which, as I found out this week, is like painting the entire fucking red dwarf with a brush. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, and it, quite ironically... It is red, um, as many people have seen. And uh, I am just sick of it now, man. I have done two courts and that fucker is not holding to the wall. To be fair, you know, you've, you've painted for like two days straight, possibly yeah. more. Yeah. And are the fumes getting to you? 
Yes. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> you must be high as a kite after painting like a whole room and then just sitting in the room being like, well, this is nice. Well, the I first can day, see 20 colours. The first day, Storm Jocelyn was still there, so I couldn't open any windows uh, <laughs> through fear of the windows being ripped clean off their hinges, so I had the trickle vents on. So I. The, the trickle vents? The trickle vents is there. That's something Lee has. No, he, 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 anyway, um, <laughs> so all I could have was... Where, the do, where do you think milk comes from in the mirror universe? <sighs> uh, so anyway, <laughs> I, yeah, so I just had to have the trickle vents on and then I <laughs> finished at <laughs> six o'clock on, uh, what day was it, Tuesday? And then I was like, oh shit, I need to be on Twitch. Um, <laughs> so I was high as a kite. Um, playing, what was it, Goat Simulator or Wheel of Fortune? One of the two. I think it was Wheel of Fortune. I think Fortune. it was both, because I saw both? a clip. I didn't get a tune in, but I saw a clip of you playing um, Wheel of Fortune, but then it said on the thumbnail it was Goat Simulator. So you must have switched at some point, maybe? Oh, I, I changed it. I don't know why I never did that. But yes, I, I was high um, <laughs> all the way through that. Um, it's been a struggle, but the, it's nearly there. One more coat, so five more litres of paint, and uh, mm. I might have a room that's habitable. Made even more worse by the fact that the sofa company went, oh, the sofa that was due on the 5th of February, it's coming Monday, so hurry up. And I'm just like, fuck! Um, I, I'm still really annoyed at that. Like, Surely, I, I, surely you can tell them, no. I, I specified this date for it to arrive, so hang on to it. I don't know, man. I should have gone with DFS. I heard there was a sale on. Um, but yeah. So DFS having a sale? That sounds unlikely. But then in the mirror universe. But then sales you go to have DFS. DFS. You you go hmm. to DFS. Or Yakov off in the corner. <laughs> okay, but you, you go to DF, DFS and then you see the little signs go hurry sales end soon and it's <laughs> it's been ending for the last thirty years as far as I could see. It's like then there's like point one of a second until the next sale starts and you just like like surely they're the same. Do you remember the Officers Club in the UK? Oh my god! Where I they do, got like yeah. sued. They got sued because like. The, you know, the, I forgot what they're called, the, you know, the trading standards were basically going, you can't mark something as on sale if it's never actually been at retail at full price. <laughs> you know, so they were just going, because there was never a point when they weren't on sale, there was never a point that they were actually the normal price. So it wasn't a sale. That was just the standard price. So they kind of got sued for it. And then they were like, oh, okay. And then ended up going bankrupt. Wow. But yeah, because it is. It's like going, hey, you need to not be on sale occasionally. You know, it's it's insane. Like every time you go in, there's always a sale at DFS. I mean, people who don't know the UK, DFS is a, a furniture uh, store that mm. that primarily. I think it just primarily sells sofas and then other ancillary bits. But for the last 30, yeah. 35 years, they have had a sale, and it it feels like constantly they have had <laughs> the same sale. Um, but then when you walk in, they have little leaflets on the sofa saying, hurry, uh, sale ends on the 31st of January. And you just like, and then the new sale starts on the 1st of February, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, um, it, it will be as well. Yeah. It'll, it'll be that there's like a day that then they don't have the sale on. And then they're like, oh, well, back on sale. But I, I did have a sudden realisation when I was painting the room, apart from it being uh, like Red Dwarf, that it's it's kind of like Picard's ready room from the next generation when when the third coat is on it's quite dark so then that led me to purchase the actual lithograph from the ready room on the enterprise d so i'm going to have that suspended on my wall 
So when someone walks into the living room, it's going to be that, and then hopefully that like an open work of Shakespeare on a plinth, a stargazer, and then just Earl Grey constantly on tap on the table. Um, I'm I'm going full Picard. I I think the paint fumes are really getting to me. Brain damage. I think I must have. I I think that sounds amazing though. That sounds really like. <laughs> I think this is the. Th- this is the thing, though. It's your house. It's the fact that it's your house, so you can do whatever the hell you want oh, with yeah, it. Yeah. And if you're just like, and the wonderful thing is, if you don't like it, you can redecorate. So if you do it, and then you're like, okay, this is a bit silly having like a red room, then you're like, cool. You can just, you know, that, that that's the thing. It's the realizing that the consequences that don't matter, where you can just change your mind later, it makes everything a lot easier. I'm and the fact is, I think it'll dungeon. look amazing. I think it will. It really will. It's just taking far longer than uh, than I had hoped. Speaking of taking far longer than is actually God. necessary, um, I'm, I'm I've been dreading this all week because I tried before DragCon. I tried watching this movie when I still had Paramount Plus because I started because I basically tried watching. I watched this and I think I got like I think I got like three quarters of the way through and yeah. then I sort of paused it and then just went and did everything else in the world and then forgot to get back to it. And then I cancelled my Paramount Plus subscription because, you know, Strange New Worlds wasn't working and there was nothing else to watch on it. Uh, so when I rewatched it this week, I was just like, oh God, it's this again. And I found myself kind of skipping ahead. And that's really annoying considering for the Nerdy Up North podcast, when I was on talking about Studio Ghibli's um, Spirited Away, I happily watched that two times in two days. Like, and I could just do it. Whereas this one, I was like, it's actually a struggle. It's actually a struggle watching this movie for a second time. This... And it, it doesn't... I'm glad we're doing this in order, okay? Yeah. I'm glad that we start our movie reviews doing them in order because I can't conceivably think of a time when I would have gone, yes, let's do the motion picture you know <laughs> it's also beneficial because it allows me time to purchase the monster maroon uniform um <laughs> which uh is on order um it's actually the monster maroon bomber jacket because trying to purchase a movie era monster maroon uniform is absolutely impossible unless you want to spend 800 pound We've talked about this with Sean Ferrick. Yeah. We've talked about it with uh, Mark Cartier. They yeah. are just gold dust. It's the idea of just, wow, they do not appear. It. I, I searched high and low, and I get all of my uniforms from this reputable place, and they are brilliant. They fit perfectly. Mm. Nowhere does the monster maroon, primarily because they can't get the colour right. They can't get the actual shade of maroon. So I found the bomber jacket from Star Trek V, Hmm. which apparently is the correct colour. Yeah. Um, and I'm just going to go, fuck it. I'm just going to wear that for the other five movies. <laughs> so I've yeah. ordered that. I've ordered the period correct uh, com badge as well. So that'll become, so when we come to Wrath of Khan, I will hopefully look the part and not just a baggy next generation. But I'm going to wear a black velvet um, shirt and some fucking eyeliner. Black so uh, at least one of us is making an effort, really. You know? Wow, okay, that's fine. I, I'm just high. Leave me alone. Um, <laughs> yeah, 1979, this came out. And this was Paramount's answer to Star Wars A New Hope. This is Paramount's knee-jerk reaction to shit. Sci-fi is actually doing really well, and we need to capitalise on that. What do we have? Hmm. To which they found Star Trek and contacted Gene Roddenberry. 
I mean, this... The, the, if this is the answer, if this is classed as their answer to other sci-fi, it's the equivalent of, I know I am, and what? No, I know you are. So what am I? Like you know, it's it's that shit of it's... like a response to a trend. There's there's <laughs> going to be negativity in this review, but there will also, <laughs> but there will if also, you haven't guessed already, there will also be positivity because very much like Star Trek Discovery, without this film, hmm. this one right here we would not have any Star Trek at all from yeah. 1979 onwards. The story was a rejected original series script. Mm. And it just... It took way longer than it should have getting the plot moving. And there are some extremely surreal bits. Um, I don't know if it's just in the director's edition mm. or if it was in the theatrical. Like... When the movie starts, there is an overture for about three minutes. Yeah, I wondered that, and I was just like, "Is the score too big for the film?" Yeah, <laughs> like, have they made the score too big? <laughs> you know. So, like... so it 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 opens up to a star field, and you think, right, the movie's going to get going, and it's just three minutes of the. I mean, it's a beautiful uh, composition by Jerry Goldsmith. <clears throat> I am not denying that, <clears throat> but it's three three or five minutes, and then it just ends, and then the film begins. Because so <clears throat> I, I'm sat there going. Yeah, this is good. This is good. The movie's good. It's crystal. I mean, because I've got the the four K UHD. I was like, it's crystal mm. clear. And then it ended, and I'm like, what? And then I saw Paramount or Gulf Western come, and I was like, that wasn't the start of the movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Why <clears throat> was this? Do you know what I mean? It just it, it, if you're coming I mean, into it, it I, would make no sense. Yeah. How I feel about this whole movie, okay? This movie is way too long for what it is. Extremely. Like, there is... This does feel very much like a single episode stretched out to about two hours longer than it actually should be. Correct. And that's what's really difficult. And it's... But you wonder... Like, I kind of had to take a step back because I didn't enjoy it, but I have to take a step back and wonder if it's like... You know how nowadays where the kids have their TikToks, their, their talk ticks and oh, their sort of... Their, them, them bloody... You know, uh, what they're called? Uh, Insta... Shorty in, Insta, and, Instagrams and yes. that. But it's... But it's this idea where we kind of joke that, like, wow, okay, so they could, they only have an attention span to, like, watch, like, a 20-second video and that's all they can manage kind of thing. Like, yeah. they can't watch something that's, like, a sort of, you know, a five-minute Monty Python sketch or whatever, like we, we were used to. And it kind of, I had to view it in that kind of way and go, wow, am I just too used to a sort of faster pace of sci-fi or like what we got in the next gen onwards and stuff and that i can't appreciate a film as paced and as sort of like hey look at the beautiful visuals kind of thing like it's very 2001 a space odyssey like that Extremely. kind of hey we're stretching it out we're yeah. making all these beautiful things and obviously i'm just like get get to the plot do things like you know and I wonder if maybe that's just me being too used to modern stuff where there is a much faster pacing than there was in this. But then even when I watch the original series, the pacing is better than it is in this film, this is, which is the problem. <laughs> this is this is a case of, because by this point, by 79, we had the original series, we had the animated series. Mm. There was, and there is film of Star Trek Phase 2, which mm. was the, the, the abandoned series, which became the motion picture. Um, this was in demand by the fans so much mm. since the show was cancelled. 
everyone was just happy to have the band back together to yeah. go out on an adventure. They didn't care what adventure it was. They were just happy that it, the crew was there, the Enterprise was there, and they were back out exploring. This was a major success for Paramount Pictures, despite being critically panned. Hmm. And the benefit of this film, you know, and we'll get into why we don't like it. <laughs> I think but... the joy of the internet is that they didn't have it then. Yeah. So it's obviously the idea of everyone going, oh, that was shit, but they couldn't tell other people that it was shit. That was the benefit, <laughs> Just, that okay. was the benefit of this because it was, you can't go by word of mouth. People had to watch it. And because of that financial success, we then got the Wrath of Khan, hmm. which was and still is people's most favorite Star Trek movie of all time. And yeah. I very much, very, very much look forward to reviewing that next one. Mm. This one was sort of... If if you see the original six movies as a TV series, this was mm. the pilot episode where they got everything out and then mm. from then on in, they ironed out all the kinks. But it was extremely padded. Because like you said, and like I've said, this is what well, this was, a rejected original series script. They needed to fill it out into a two-hour motion picture. All we got in this, and I think 90% of this movie, is external ship shots and and uh, yeah. very, very long pan shots of Vija I... and everything. like. I described it to you earlier on as sort of a rock opera without the rock. <laughs> well, I... I don't. I've got so much to say about this, and I'm not sure how much I should say at a time. Like you know, rather well, than just shall going we, off shall on we one. explain? Shall we explain the premise of the the yeah. movie? So, the movie starts. There is an unknown entity of massive size and power, um, heading towards Earth. They are first intercepted by the Klingons, where we see the Klingons how we see them now in modern day Trek, uh, with the ridges and you know the the darkened armor. Um, the, the these we, I I was going to ask, is this the because the first time we see these birds of play, birds of birds of play? No, these birds of prey, and it's like, yeah, they're the first time we see the Klingons as we're used to them with the ridges and looking amazing. Right there, yeah. Is this the first time we hear them speak Klingon? That's I correct. can't remember if they speak. They don't speak it no. in the original series. So anything I've seen. This, this, so the the ships they're they're essentially the same ones as the D seven in the original series. They are just got they've got what they call like um, griblets and little bits griblets. tacked on to the hull to make it look more <laughs> detailed. Um, yeah. They're now called the Katinga, um, mm. but the Klingons. This is the first time we hear them speak Klingon. Uh, this is bef just before the Klingon language was actually like invented and formed. Yeah. Uh, the way they look, this is the first time. It was a bold move because, let's be honest, the Klingons were smooth-skinned, um, very un-PC, darkly tanned <laughs> yeah. uh, characters. Uh, this was like, okay, we've got a budget now. Let's actually make them alien. So they gave them the the ridges, the teeth, the armaments, yeah. and like we see in that screenshot there, that's how most people identify a Klingon now yeah. from the motion picture. They are intercepting this massive entity. They are, you know, Klingons being Klingons, they just fire torpedoes at this, which just get absorbed, and they themselves get absorbed by this mysterious creature. Um, but they don't get absorbed. It's like a bolt comes out of it and then hits them, and yeah, then yeah. they're just gone. Like it just evaporates them, basically. Yeah, they get they get like I'm saying absorbed, but it's almost like it's like vaporization of yeah. from what looks like to be 
vaporization. Starfleet have monitored this. They plotted that it's on a trajectory to Earth, and mm. it's going to be uh, at Earth in three days. Um, and then we smash cut straight to Earth, which is the first mm. time we see Earth in Star Trek, uh, to a uh, chief of uh, operations, Admiral James T. Kirk. In oh, the who's qu- he again? What's he done? He's the one I with can't... the wig. So oh. the <laughs> we're in San Francisco. This is a, I mean, a lot of. The, the motion picture had a lot of firsts for Star Trek. We had mm. the, the Klingons, how we see them now. We had San Francisco as Starfleet headquarters. Mm. Uh, we had shots of Earth. Um, uh, we're, we're missing the main theme. Which is? From the next generation, you know? The main theme of this we movie, which is... <laughs> but it, yeah, yeah, how yeah. amazing is that, though? Like the, That was my problem with the beginning of this movie. Like The overture kind of it gets you, because you're like, why is this here? And then it has one of the greatest cinema crimes that sadly most of the Star Trek movies do, which is a, a flat credits at the beginning. You know, like there's nothing going on. There's no plot or exposition or anything happening. It's just literally just a flat thing with the names appearing. Like, you know, and you're like, you could have told the whole story of like loads of stuff as like a montage during this sequence but instead they just drag it out as long as possible but we do get to hear this amazing theme that they obviously loved so much they were like no no we're keeping that we're going to use that again and we're going to make that like the music for next generation it, it carried on the theme though as, as weird as it is that it became such a lasting legacy for star trek the theme was barely used in most of the movies the wrath of khan mm. had a different score Search for Spock had a different score. Yeah. Um, I mean, it milks the hell out of it in this one. Yeah. This one has it about, like, I I counted, like, four variations of this theme throughout the movie, but it keeps repeating it. We don't hear this theme again, though, until Star Trek V. Is that that before or after Next Gen, though? I can't remember. That's after Next Gen. That's 89. So that's it. So the next time we hear, we hear this theme in... Like the motion picture, and then the next time we hear it is as the main theme of yeah. the next generation, and you're like, "Oh wow, okay." So they obviously just dug it up and went, "Yeah, yeah, we're, we're using this one." Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, it's there's a lot of firsts in this movie. We see uh, Spock uh, undertaking the Vulcan ritual of Colonar, which is to mm. purge all human emotions. He stops short of achieving Colonar because he senses the consciousness coming and calling from him from outer space. Hmm. So uh, he cannot continue and complete Colonar. He must go find his destiny elsewhere. He must chase his consciousness. Hmm. Kirk at San Francisco speaking to his new science officers saying that, you know, in three days uh, there is something heading for Earth. I'm going to speak to Admiral Nagoya. I think it's Nagoya, he says. Hmm. Um, I think so. And then the next time we see him, he's on the space station speaking to Scotty. And then we get... Now, there's got to be a lot of division from this scene because, for me, this is a beautifully choreographed scene. And so now he's probably going to go, this went on way too long. This is the reveal shot of the brand new refitted Enterprise, mm. this one here, which I have yeah. lovingly polished up and lit behind <laughs> me. Um, this design and i and i i have met the person who redesigned the enterprise who painted it Mm. who detailed it in 2012 and he is if you look up the word passionate he will be right next to it (laughs) in the in the dictionary 
Is it is it next to fanatical in the dictionary? Almost fanatical, yeah. <laughs> let me just get it's his name. line, I think. Let me just get his name because I, I, it, the name um, the name eludes me. There we go. So it was Andrew Probert and Richard Taylor. Mm. Um, now. I've heard of Andrew Prober, I'm sure of it. Prober did the Enterprise D. Oh, the okay, yeah, there we C. go. Yeah. So, this is widely regarded as the greatest Star Trek ship of all time, the greatest, best-looking Star Trek ship of mm. all time. And if any, if this movie fails on anything, it's not this, because they took their time to reveal this beautiful, highly detailed model of the Enterprise mm. in this in this scene. And... It's quite evocative for many fans to see this ship. Um, a lot of fans grew up in the 70s and 80s with this in the movie, so they consider this to be the best-looking uh, starship. <laughs> I love it. I love every single second of it. Did it go on too long? Yes. Do I care? <laughs> no. But this just shows the the issues of pacing with the movie because yeah. they do this a lot for a lot of unnecessary things. They did it for... The, the little space station scene. They did it for the reveal. They did it for the ship moving out. They did it for Vija. It, it's a lot of padding that's the, not the, necessary. The film, this is a 40-minute film. This is yeah. a 40-minute film just stretched out. Like, you know, obviously we're going to talk about the plot more, but there comes a point, okay, where you could start this film probably about an hour and ten in. You know, you could probably, like... There, there is a whole thing. Oh, well, actually, wait. C carry on, and then I'll, I'll make this point later. I, I absolutely agree because we see Kirk get onto the Enterprise with Scotty, who is now Mustachioed. Um, yeah. One of the most horrifying. This parts is the first time that Scotty's plump, isn't he? Yes. That's the crazy thing. Because obviously, like I didn't watch. I watched Next Gen first, so yeah. I remember Scotty from appearing in. Um, is it Relics? Relics. Uh, yeah, relics in um, Next Generation and being like, oh, it's, ch you know, chunky uh, Scotty. And then yeah. watching the movies with him in and being like, oh, yeah, that's how he is. And then you watch the original original series and you're like, oh, he wasn't always like, you know, like sort of, you know, uh, cuddly bear man. It's, you know, it's it's so it's kind of w weird seeing it here being like that must have been people being like, oh, he's changed a little it's, bit. It's you know? Canonically, what happened was they had a five year mission which was the original mm. series. They then did another five-year mission, and then the Enterprise went in for nearly two years to be completely refit. So this this is, in this movie, this mm. is the Enterprise from the original series that's essentially just being modified, refit, and looks completely different. It yeah. also has a new captain, uh, Will Decker, who many have theorized throughout the decades is the son of Matt Decker, from the original series episode, The Doomsday Machine, who sacrificed yes. himself to save others uh, when he, he flew his shuttlecraft in. Spoilers, possibly Spoilers, a family trait. But it is 57 <laughs> years old, so... Mm. Um, so many speculated that. Now, he's the captain of the Enterprise, but Kirk being Kirk, being a bit of a dick, mm. has used a threatening situation to essentially commandeer the Enterprise again to fulfill this mission because the I mean, Enterprise is the only ship in range that is capable of meeting them before it reaches Earth. 
We the, now this confuses me. Two things confuse me is a do we really get into how bored Kirk is? Like, because I don't remember a scene where it has Kirk showing how frustrated he is to not be on the Enterprise. So we learn over the film that that's his motivation for doing this and going, hey, oh, there's a problem. Well, I'll just um, commandeer the Enterprise and then I'll sort it out kind of thing. Yeah, yeah I've got my old ship back. But it doesn't really go into his, you know, uh, ennui or anything like from being in... Because it, does he become an admiral? Is that why he's... So, so after the second five-year mission, he's promoted mm. to an admiral and chief of uh, Starfleet operations. Bored. He is bored. What's frustrating is we actually get more of the ennui in Star Trek Two than we do in Star mm. Trek One, where it was more needed. Where for two and a half years, Kirk has been an admiral. He's been a desk jockey. He's bored. Mm. He wants to get out there and explore. He wants a <clears> ship. <throat> he wants to get out there. He's used this opportunity to seize the Enterprise, commandeer, shall we say, from Decker, <laughs> to go uh, investigate this this craft, this massive behemoth heading mm. towards Earth. I love the fact that Will Decker, who is a captain, pulls Kirk up on his bullshit. Yeah. Because Kirk, Kirk goes down to engineering, um, says to Will, uh, they've given me the Enterprise... You're staying on board, um, and you'll, you'll be, be demoted. my science officer. But you will you be know. no, but you will be demoted. So essentially, yeah. he's going. You've lost your ship, you've lost your rank, and you're staying on because you know more than me about this ship. Because, like yeah. Decker says, this is a completely new enterprise. You don't know its systems. You don't know where anything is. This is my ship, not yours. But Decker just quite rightly pulls him up on his, his bullshit and says, you said to me when you recommended this, how envious you were and how you will do anything to get your, yeah. you know, to get a command. Well, it looks like you, you know, it looks like you, you succeeded. And, and, and I think this is, this is the problem with this, where it's the fact of we've already just had the last episode we did before Bar Association was where we saw Kirk being very unprofessional yeah. and Kirk sort of jeopardizing a mission because of his own personal desires. And yet we're seeing it again here. And it's this character trait of Kirk that I I think, I, I was going to say it hasn't aged well, but I'm pretty sure that even at the time you would have been like, nah, what a dick move, you know? Yeah. Like, because it, it affects the film. Like later on, we have a scene where basically... Kirk's lack of knowledge about the refit of the Enterprise and the fact that he's just taken this new ship over. He's just gone, cool, cool, this is mine. I'll operate this. No, I'm not going to read the instruction manual. And no, I'm not going to actually read any reports about what we've actually done with it. Just go, you know, and that puts them all in mortal danger later. Yeah. And you're just going like, this is not a good look for, you know, <laughs> it's... It's, I get the impression that it's like the, you know, where you promote someone out of harm's way, where you just go, okay, if we just put you up here, you can't fuck things up anymore, which is a bit of an insult, really, to uh, <laughs> to fans who like Kirk, I guess. One of the most though, horrifying scenes in the movie is the transporter room accident. Yeah. Which I feel, because up until this point in Star Trek, transporters would just be, oh, it's a, it's a way to get down to the planet or beam from A to mm. B. You know, these are completely safe. Everyone does it. This movie was like, oh, those things that you saw in the 60s. and the t Yeah, they can, like, really fuck a person up when they go wrong. Mm. Um, and the beaming, uh, the, they're trying to beam aboard these two crew. 
like, one of them's a science officer, and that's how yeah. Will Decker gets made the science officer. I but think. there is a power. There's a power surge, is I mm. believe, um, and it, the power surge happens as they are beaming someone up from Earth. And we get this scene where Yorman Rand is, well, not Yorman Rand, Ensign Rand is trying to beam them aboard and you see their bodies twisting and writhing and changing shape as the molecular structure is breaking down. And then you get, to this day, one of the most disturbing parts in any Star Trek movie, a horrifying scream of agony from mm. one of these people that you know they're trying to transport they fail to beam them aboard and then kirk goes to starfleet command did you get them and that that line will stick with me and they go uh starfleet command what we got back did not live long fortunately yeah that it's... is fucking terrifying and i can this... understand mccoy's skepticism of the transporter this is the thing. It's it's like like we see in Enterprise and like we see in Strange New Worlds, where people are like going, "These things are a bit. Hmm, let's yeah. not. Let's you know. Let's avoid Barclay. them when we need to. You know. Yeah, Barclay, for instance, is the same. But then a few scenes later, when they're about to get underway, the CMO's trying to come on board. Mm. Uh, and he's refusing to get onto the transport pad. And I'd be like, yeah, because they've just mopped <laughs> away two piles of goo, and then they've just gone. Go up, and then like, they, no. Wait, wait, why is this though? Is this because because of the refit? There's a problem with the transporters. Like it wouldn't normally happen, but it's the idea of because they're wheeling this thing out before it's ready in order to go and like look into this anomaly. Like that's why they mess up. Like they, it's they not essentially, a standard thing. The the ship is the the ship has gone under a refit for eighteen months. It is not ready. Nothing on the ship has mm. been tested. So right. what would normally happen if there was if there was no uh, uh, this happens in real life, they will refit something, construct something, refit it, modify it, mm. and then you take it on a shakedown. So basically, yeah. in uh, sit in in cruise liners and everything like that, they will ma- many cruise ships will go under a refit after like ten years. So they'll mm. put in new engines or or some new technology. Before it's put out to sea, they do manoeuvres. They they make sure that the equipment's working. They test the limits mm. of it and everything like that. For this, they don't have the time. So they're going, right, this is the only ship we have literally got in range. It's not ready. Make it ready. So then yeah. they're all rushing, and that's when things go wrong. So that's why we see a scene later on with the engines. Things go wrong. Mm. I absolutely agree with McCoy. <laughs> that I will not be stepping on the transporter pad that's just been mocked off full of human goo and Vulcan goo, right? Mm. Give me a shuttle. I I understand his scepticism of the transporter. And when they beam yeah. him aboard, I love movie-era McCoy because he just does not give a fuck about Starfleet, about mm. anyone. He is the quintessential uh, Southern doctor with no bedside manner. Here, the the whole point is that McCoy is here against his will. Yes. McCoy doesn't want to be here. They've just gone, hey, we can conscript you because of, you know, this thing you signed ages ago, so come back. And he just doesn't want to be there. Like, he genuinely, like, yeah, get to see Kirk again. That was nice. Time to go, you know, but he's still it's, stuck It's here. actually a real thing in, um, in the military. It's a, a recall activation clause. 
Yeah. Where you can muster out with the service, but at any point, if there's any extraordinary emergency or situation, they can bring you back. Um, Which makes you wonder, is it Kirk who's done this? Is it Kirk selfishly being like, hey, I want my old team back to say, come yeah. out of retirement? And that's another strike against Kirk just wanting to relive the glory days. But what annoys me about the movie, though, is that it doesn't go into these things. No. Like, these are... The the movie is boring because not enough happens for what the movie... Like, how long it is. But there's so many opportunities for stuff to happen. Like, we have the transporter accident. We have a thing later on where they go, oh, actually, the ship works slightly differently because of this. But then it just forgets it. It literally doesn't go anywhere with the whole, hey, the ship is still technically untested and stuff. It just has some problems at the beginning and then it has no consequences later. Uh, and then, like, with this one, where it's like, hey, Kirk's got this ambition. Oh, but we forget about it later. And it just feels really like these are all threads that could have been throughout the whole film, rather than just, I don't know, it, it feels like they felt they needed to put some punchy scenes in. So they were like, let's have this horror moment where someone dies on a transporter. Oh, my God, how shocking. Let's have a bit where they go into a wormhole. Oh, my God, it's so exciting and so shocking. And then, but they're not tying it into the actual narrative. They're just going, these things happen. Like, the way I would describe this, okay, is, you know, when you go to Disneyland and there's the ride, like yeah. there's the Star Wars ride or, you know, something where basically... You know, it, you sit in the seat and then it moves around and it has like a video screen where it's like, look, you're in the Star Wars Wars universe and stuff. That's what this film feels like. It feels like we're on a walking simulator going through some things. It's like, oh, no, the Klingons are attacking. Ah, oh, well, we got away. Moving on to this. You know, that's how it feels. And it's the most shallow way to make a movie, I think. I think <laughs> you know, like... I, I, we know why Paramount did it because they wanted to cash in on the popularity of Star Wars mm. so they wanted their old Star Wars but the people behind Star Trek did not want to make Star Wars they wanted yeah. to make Star Trek and Star Trek has not always it, it's never been about pew 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 space action it's always been about the story the characters yeah. but this this fails because like we say it is a rejected 40 minute script so it is just padded out with lovely exterior shots of space, of the ships, and then these minor scenarios that are never explained and never got into uh, in, in any other part of the movie. The tra I mean, the transporter accident, you could, you, you, you could, you could have, have that had. being relevant later. When they get Vija and stuff, you could have stuff like that. Like they, they managed to solve a problem by using the transporter fault. You know, stuff like that where they're going, oh, how do they, you know, say they're getting attacked or something. Or Vija starts off with sort of a more, like, dangerous kind of operative or something yeah. rather than, like, what we get. And the way they stop it is they teleport it because they know the teleporter will fuck it up. You know, you could do this in the narrative, but then it just doesn't. But you know, it just goes, ah, oh, well, how, that happened. You know? How bad was Starfleet in this era where literally their only ship is one in a dry dock that's not even ready to be shaked down yet. You know, how, that's what I was going to say. It's like you have no ships within three days of Earth. Like what? You know, that is I, the I Borg invaded at the faster. wrong time. That's what I'm yeah. going to say. The Borg invaded at the wrong time. But also later on, we just go, oh, except Spock, who has a shuttlecraft that it can apparently ca catch up with warp seven. 
Is that is that what we're saying? You know. Well, before we just have that halfway through, and it's like, okay, never mind. Before we get that, we have another thirty minutes um, exterior shot of the Enterprise leaving space dock. Again, loved it, absolutely loved it, but went on way too long. They they fly past Jupiter. Uh, they then rest, which is never again, never ever again mentioned in Star Trek. They risk going to warp in the solar system, and I'm like, everyone does that, but <laughs> they go to warp on these untested engines. Uh, Scotty and Decker all say to Kirk, we need to run more simulations. These engines have never been tested. Kirk being yeah. Kirk is going, I want it now. Yeah. They go to warp and then they get dragged into a wormhole with an asteroid that they need to sort out. Otherwise, they're going to collide with the asteroid. This is, again, the director's, the director's edition. This mm. one here changed this scene so it flowed much better but it still went on way too long, was too surreal, mm. and just disjointed the pacing of the movie again. You know what it felt like? This scene, you know when you know when like 3D movies were a big thing? Avatar yeah. came out and then everything was in 3D. Yeah. And you got all these movies that had convoluted scenes just to show off the 3D. Yeah. Like I remember in the second Silent Hill movie, there's just this random monster in it. And it goes up to the camera and like shakes around and stuff purely so that it would look good in the 3D version. Yeah. That's what this scene feels like. This scene feels like, hey, we just have this, oh, there's a wormhole and therefore we can have this exciting special effects scene where it's like, oh, look, there's loads of danger and loads of special effects. And you're sitting there being like, yeah, how how great, you know? Like the fact that it doesn't, it doesn't, does it make sense? Like, so, so they, they get trapped into a wormhole. And there's an asteroid in the wormhole. And by shooting the asteroid, they st stop the wormhole, but then it doesn't seem to have taken them anywhere. Like, they're still on course, even though they've been in a wormhole for, like, a minute. It makes no sense, because the wormhole was created by an engine imbalance. So a wormhole was created by an engine imbalance, which also sucked in an asteroid. But by destroying the asteroid, they break out of the wormhole and exit out of warp. Now, any Trekkie would turn around and go, shut off the warp engine. Just, just, you're on mute, by the way, Sonny. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, sorry. all it is, that's because I'm pouring another drink. Oh, yeah. I'm but, needing it to get through this. But <laughs> it, 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 it makes those, it, it, it's movie magic, as we'll call it. But we, it but makes no sense. So annoying. This is, this is the difference. This is what upsets me. The fact of Trek is a lot of fancy science bollocks 90% of the time. <laughs> But it does it in a convincing way. It yep. manages to weave this narrative where you're like, oh, that sounds kind of plausible. And they have experts who are kind of like, oh, well, technically that could kind of work. Like, you know, you still Do get... Do you want to know who Dr. the expert was on this film? I know. I wrote it down because it appeared at the end. And I was like, Isaac Av Asimov. Asimov. Fucking hell. Of all people, Isaac Asimov was a you scientific consultant. I was going to say, I was, I'm actually going to criticize that because I'm a big fan of Asimov. Like I, you know, he's he's an absolute genius. I love his work, but after watching the film and then seeing that in the credits, I was like, that makes a lot of sense because that's what it feels like. It feels like an Asimov short story that they've stuck Star Trek characters in. Yeah, like it doesn't feel like the same universe that we're used to, and that's why everything doesn't seem like warp, like space travel doesn't seem to work the same as it does normally in Trek and everything. It just so. You know, even though we're saying it was an original series story, I walked away from it feeling like they just got an Asimov story 
and went, hey, let's put Kirk and Spock and uh, and McCoy in it and stuff. And I'm... that's what... Because it doesn't even use a lot of the characters. Like, you know, Ahura's there. Does she do anything? Like, you know, you know, like Chapel's there. She She's... She has like three lines in the whole thing, and it just do you know what like, Sulu what's does? the point do you know of bringing Su- these characters in and doing nothing with them? Do you them? know what Sulu does? <laughs> just that, yeah. just, just that. That's it. That's all he does. He's he, just he, get, he gets throttled. to act shocked later. I yeah. think. <laughs> I I see this as the bridge between classic Star Trek and what we got from the Wrath of Khan onwards. It was the bridge. That mm. took us from the loosey goosey science fiction of the sixties to what was then, be, you know, what would then become established as actual Trek uh, from eighty two mm. onwards. It's, I mean, the the arrival of Spock, um, where you know we have this shuttle that apparently has to depart, like separate from its body and do a pirouette to dock. Um, yeah. and I'm just like again it's 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 a padding scene it's pretty but how has but it's he a got there scene. as well I know I know that him docking is just very stretched out to pad the movie because yeah. it looks looks wonderful yeah you've got special effects that's great but it just and the, the whole thing like it's really the whole Spock plot line as well just bothers me because basically no when we when we meet him he's is he on Vulcan yes yeah he's on Vulcan he's trying to achieve perfect sort of like uh, logic where basically he loses all emotion and he totally suppresses everything, so he's a being of pure logic. Uh, and then they are about to present him with the award because they've basically gone, "Hey, yeah, it looks like you've done it. Well done. We can't send any logic from you, uh, any sort of emotion, emotion from you." Yeah. And then he stops them. He says, "Hey, don't crown me. Like, don't give me the sort of uh, the pendant, you know, thing yet. <laughs> I, whatever it is, I've forgotten. It looks." You know, it looks like it's been on Etsy. They've just gone on Etsy and gone, "Oh, that look nice. We'll get him that." Someone, someone called Trisha from <laughs> from from Durham. Um, Trisha from Durham. Trisha yeah, yeah. from Durham, who has got her own Tr- Trisha. Trisha's treats. Trapped? Trisha's treats, handmade jewelry, um, and and sweet pizzas. Um, <laughs> oh look, I've got I've got some Totoro earrings you can buy. You know, she she she's discovered um uh what's it called? Is it PVC plastic? <laughs> yeah. ABS plastic. <laughs> Um, and she's like, I can do molds, and this is what this I don't know if it was. Like. I don't know if it was Trisha or the the Vulcan standing next to her just had to do it in DT class at school, you know, where you make something for your mum and you're just like, oh, cut up some bits of acrylic and put them on string for you, your mum. You've just unlocked a memory of mine because when I was in <laughs> year eight, oh my god, when I was in year eight, how many I, died? Goodwill. I made. <laughs> <laughs> I made my mother two things. I made her a mirror, mm. which we had for about 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and I made her a mobile phone stand, both out of bright orange acrylic plastic. <laughs> which I, I'm betting went with everything in the house. <laughs> oh, God, it didn't. <laughs> it just... Unless your house was like untouched since the time of this movie, Goodwill, that would not have fit in with any. Well, there was a time. <laughs> it was the nineties, so nice, you know. 
This is this is what I love about rose tinted glasses. They're like, oh, everyone's houses in the nineties are all brightly coloured, and I'm like, no, because everyone's houses in the nineties were houses from the seventies because they yeah, hadn't no. been redecorated. Everyone's houses in the nineties was like the morning after, like the the hungover version of having the seventies. Where we're like, should we just paint everything? It white? was it was just, wood just paneling. Paint, just get rid of the wallpaper. It was wood <laughs> wood paneling, mahogany. <laughs> Uh, shag pile in certain places, mm-hmm. and if those, you're lucky, those sofas that look like they were ripped straight from a bus from the 1980s. <laughs> do you remember, like the orange, like patterned? I one. do. I... Yeah, <laughs> and just the ever-present cigarette smoke. Even though no one smoked, there was just that ever-present yeah. whiff. That yeah, I remember. That was the grandma, 90s. <laughs> my grandma's house. We had all of those, like um. The, the ashtrays that we found out later were actually radioactive because she had them. You know, those like glass, like, like those glass ashtrays where they sort yeah. of like transparent and brightly colored. And then obviously I saw something later where it's like, these are actually radioactive. And we're like, okay, that's fun. But, but yeah, I, yeah, but I, yeah that, I... <laughs> that's the pendant, okay, that they're going to give to Spock. And then he kind of. He stops them putting it on, and then he chucks it to the ground. And they're like, "Eh, I don't like this. It's shit." He should have kept and his. He's like, hair. "Oh, there's no refunds. You know, oh, the postage was more than this." Um, four stars. But, yeah, for, for four stars. <laughs> Didn't um, break when it hit the ground. <laughs> but yeah, but basically, he just goes, "Hey, actually, no, I'm not feeling it. I'm not actually, you know, uh, there's something disturbing me. There's emotions in me that I can't get rid of, and I'm being contacted by some presence outside of." you know, our universe, I think. And I don't know what it is. I have to go to it. And then they're like, oh, well, your answers don't lie here. Fuck off. And so he goes off to to find himself. We just had it on the screen down there, yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. Um, the scene where he's going, oh, what is it? And yeah, it's a weird one, though, because I don't get this. How How is Spock receiving a psychic transmission from so far away? And how can he be the and, only one? Yeah, like... Surely, is it all Vulcans? Is it just him? Why is Vija contacting him? Like, I none of it makes any sense. Like, this is what annoys me. All these things that only happen to make the plot happen. Where yeah. we're like, how do we get Spock into this? Oh, Vija was talking to him, so he went towards it? Oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. And you're like, but it doesn't explain it. Like, it doesn't have Vija go, oh, yeah, I reached out to you because I thought you were linked to the creator or something like that it, it doesn't do anything it, it just literally just goes yeah yeah he was the only one listening apparently out of an entire universe of vulcans it's annoying because it's like <laughs> th- there were better ways to bring spock in yeah the, 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 this the... is the whole problem everything i'm complaining about would have worked if done in a different way yeah like... they, they could have said oh there, there was a there was a there was a signal emanating from this this entity that mm. the only one man can can decipher because he's an expert in this. You know, yeah. they could have brought him into that. This one, the, you could the have only politics reason. in. You could have had the Vulcans going. That's a human matter. We're not going to get involved. Yeah, and Spock being like, "Well, I'm still human, so fuck this whole trying to be Vulcan and logic thing. I'm going to go off and see what it is. You know, and I'm going to like help Kirk and whatnot. You know, they could have done stuff like that. The the difference between him being a like you know him being a half cast and being like whether he takes his human side or his vulcan side and making it into a kind of moral decision and the problem is it it kind of has that in the film but it never poses it like that it no. just kind of has him being like oh i guess some emotions are cool the end uh, you know but then he, he oh he just comes aboard and he's just like oh i know how to fix your engines and it's just like well hang on 
You yourself have been on Vulcan that purging all... him. Yeah, you've been on Vulcan purging all human emotions. You don't know anything about the ship, and yet you know how to perfectly balance the yeah. engines. I'm like, oh, well, it's Spock. He must know how to do everything. And you're yeah. just going, that's a... You know, like, it's very odd, because Decker goes from saying to Kirk, hey, you need me because I'm the only one who is trained in this, yeah. to suddenly instantly trusting everything Spock does because he's Spock. And it's a bit like, yes, I know Spock is very famous and he's like a genius and stuff, but it's a bit of a shift for the character to be sort of like, hey, I'm overly protective to only in some circumstances. But then, <laughs> you know, again, it's it's Decker being cuckold. Yeah. Because, you know, you are demoted to commander. Okay, you are now a science officer. Okay, now you are no longer a science officer. Okay. Because <laughs> we've got someone better in. It's like, fuck you, Decker. What can I do? Well, you can oh, go yeah, paint that wall died. over there. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just... yeah, and it's... <laughs> it, it, it's just all the way through. I mean, we see Ilea, who's a Delton, come aboard, mm. which is Persis Combatter. Um, uh, a Delton who has no hair. Yeah. Um, when have we seen Deltons before? Never. I don't remember this is them the at first all. Time. Okay, I was, li- yeah. you know, I was literally like, I've never even heard of this race because you know when we were talking about uh, Strange New World. No, what was it? Strange New World. No, it's Picard. And I was talking about how cool it is to get a bald Vulcan. And we were talking about this, and we referenced the ironically and stuff. on Picard they were on Delta Four. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> which is where, yeah. which is where uh, Ilea is from. So that's a good. But it, is, it is that weird thing though, where it's like we referenced it there, and it's like. I'm just annoyed because once again we get another new race that it just doesn't do anything with, and it just yeah. goes, "Oh, she's got healing powers." Don't really care about she's them. Apparently, very much. The, the Deltons, <laughs> the Deltons are highly sexual, and they've got mysterious powers such as healing, uh, and mm-hmm. they don't have any hair. Uh, and Decker apparently had a thing with Ilya that again, it's mm. it's this is copy and pasted into the next generation with Riker and Troy. Mm. Because Decker was posted on Delta Four, they had a thing, and then they, you know, he mustered out to somewhere else. Same with Riker and Troy. Um, and I'm like, okay, I can see where this relationship was was pasted from. But she is essentially just another plot device. They needed a bit of Totty, seventies mm. Totty, to take the bait, and you know, that's that's the red shirt. Yeah. Hold on. I'm I'm okay. I, what I'm going to do, I'm going to speed through the rest of the plot of this Please movie, do. okay? So then we can basically talk about the different bits of it because I feel like we're jumping ahead because we I I keep taking us on tangents. But basically But we're not jumping so... ahead because literally when like this is like an hour into the movie, the movie actually starts. Well, yeah, that's it. It's literally so they've got they they're on the ship. They're traveling towards this entity that's three days away or whatever. That's heading towards Earth and it's destroyed Klingons and other ships. So try to contact it. Uh, they go into this time. They go into this wormhole and they uh, and then they find out a flaw where basically Decker uh, supersedes the captain and says, "Hey, don't fire the photon. Uh, don't fire the phasers at the asteroid. Use the photon torpedoes." And Kirk just goes, what? How are you telling me what to do? And then, but trusts him. They fire their uh, photon torpedoes, blow up the asteroid, get out of the wormhole. Then Kirk has a get shirty, calls him to his ready room and says like, hey, what do you think talking to me like that in front of everyone and making me look like a fool? And Decker's like, yeah, yeah. But if you'd read the specs for the ship, you'd realize that you can't use the phasers when the engines are fucking up because they're tied into the engines. Yeah. So the only weapons we had available were the photon torpedoes. And he and Kirk's like, oh, I guess I do need you for advice. And it's like, 
yes, you fool. You know. But I had, but... I had, a, I had a question about this though. That mm. little scene. Chekhov is there. Chekhov is in weapons control. Mm. Why didn't Chekhov comment? Because Chekhov would know. I, d I think it's simply the idea of he would never question the captain. I think it's this idea of he. I, I assume he assumes Kirk knows what he's doing. You know. Yeah, but it's a, it's a shitty. But get I think it's was. a. I think it. I think it's bad writing. Yeah. But the way I justified it in my head is basically like they all just go, "Well, Kirk must know best. He obviously read the instructions, right?" And he right? literally <laughs> has it because we see in that scene uh, where he's with McCoy. I mean, McCoy's ca calling him out on his bullshit. Yeah. Um, well, McCoy's just being a bitch. McCoy, McCoy is literally just like Sharon from the office he's the in best the corner, thing in just being, just being like, "Oh, really? Mm, how interesting." McCoy is the best thing in this film because he just <laughs> he does not give a shit. He does not want to be there. He's been mm. dragged in there by Kirk because even Kirk says at the beginning, "Damn it, Bones, I need you." Um, yeah. <clears throat> McCoy does want to be there, and he can just clearly see what Kirk has tried to do and what Kirk wants. So he's pulling them up on the bullshit. Like where he I, says, oh, is, everyone, it... is everyone okay? Frightened, as in out of mm. wits. Wait, this this is what annoys me, is that this movie kind of spoils McCoy for me because the the big problem with the movie is it's so such a departure from the series and bits of it try to be like the series and fail because of the conventions of a movie. For instance, McCoy makes these cool little jokes, like these little quips, like there, where he's basically, you know, where he's going... Uh, were there any casualties? And Chekhov's like, no, no casualties reported. And he's like, yes, there's one casualty. My, my wits. <laughs> and I think it's a great line. Yeah. But it falls fucking flat because in normally it would have the music going with it. The music would change to be like a sort of jokey kind of thing or something. And then it would pace it that way. And the other characters would react in this way. This is a vacuum. There is no music in this scene whatsoever. So it's literally him just saying that and nobody around him reacting to it. And it just, all of his gags are like this in the movie. Like he, he makes jokes with Spock and it just doesn't work. And it's so annoying because you just like, that McCoy is a funny character, but then in this movie, it's like, no, no, it's a serious movie. So we, we're going to have these jokes, but uh, it, it, it annoys me. They, they could have played it as either comical or serious, where the crew just look and yeah. go, yeah, actually what Kirk has done has put us all at risk. Well, you, you know you know what I mean about the music, though? Where, oh, yeah. You know, it would go into like little funny bum, sort bum, of like bum, happy bum, kind bum, of... Yeah, something yeah, yeah. like that. It would yeah. go into these little funny things and stuff, and then, you know, and that, that would be the punchline to the joke. That would be the now laugh or, you know, sort of like laughter track kind of thing that yeah. goes hey actually that was levity but then in this it just doesn't have it so it just sounds like he's being but he's delivering it in that way like he's not delivering it in an angry way like my wits he's doing it as a kind of yeah anyway but uh i think then then we get uh what's her name um ilea 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 comes on the ship and then it basically goes oh look you and <laughs> It's like it's like from Garth Merengue where it's like uh, you and Ilea were buddies, right? You yeah. know, it's uh, you know where Decker and her had a thing, but they're trying to keep it under wraps and they don't really want to explore it. And but there's still like you know something there. But I think uh, the problem the problem with Ilea, okay, is that as soon as I looked at her, I started thinking about Cynthia from Rugrats. You know. You know the doll from yeah. Rugrats, like Angelica's doll with the like the, the little pointy bits of hair. And as soon as I saw that, I just couldn't 
not see it for the entire film. <laughs> so, skip it, skipping ahead though. Yeah, sorry. We, we they get to Vija. They get to the cloud. Well, well, no. Then they then they are going there, and then Spock appears. So basically, they yeah, just we've, go. We've, oh, we've done the Spock. Oh yeah, there's a big thing. Spock yeah. appears. He goes in there. Uh, Ahura gets to gasp, which is the most she gets to do in the film, I believe. Uh, and then they're trying to they're trying to clue Spock in and say, "Hey, what are we doing? Tell us information." And there's a very uncomfortable scene between Spock, McCoy, and Kirk, where Spock is totally different. He is emotionless. He has been working very hard to get rid of his emotions. He won't acknowledge anyone. He's not saying hi to Ahura or Chekhov or anything. And it is, and it's a wonderful thing, but then it doesn't really work as a scene, I don't think. But basically, it's them getting very angry, them talking about what the problem could be, and then blah, 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 other shit happens. This is the point where I fell asleep. So basically, I fell asleep at the point where they are, where they're trying to get Spock to sit down. So Kirk yells at him and tells him to Would sit down. That's the last thing I remember. Sit down. Yeah. Then I woke up. 20 minutes later and was like oh shit there you know and it was in the middle of the Vija graphics and stuff so i rewound it back to that scene and watched it and realized that i hadn't actually missed anything because no. it's literally just 20 minutes of traveling and graphics traveling and random nonsense happening and yeah <laughs> and i was just it like it doesn't add to the wow. movie whatsoever <laughs> again it's padding because yeah. me trying to skip ahead here they get to the the onset of the cloud um of, of this entity and they're doing mm. the scans um and wow i yeah the <laughs> yeah it, 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 basically it, yeah. Uh, they 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 have this whole thing where they're going hey don't scan it because it could be seen as an attack and then don't raise go, shields okay, well, and stuff like yeah, that don't raise you don't yeah. act like we're being defensive because they'll see it as an attack and then basically they're doing stuff and Spock's like, hey, I think there's something in the middle of the gas cloud. Like, there's actually something in there. And then over time, there's loads of stuff happening. Around, well, there's not really, but there's things happening on screen. And then Spock goes, hey, I've deciphered what these messages are. The reason why we can't communicate with them is because they're the the base message they are sending out the simplest message they're sending out is so advanced that our technology can't actually yeah, it's, keep it's, up it's with so it it's so powerful that our our it's it's so powerful and so it's like one millisecond this entire message and it yeah. is so, so powerful he, we he have slows to close it down yeah. so that they actually go oh now we can actually understand it so basically he goes okay cool i'll prepare a thing that allows us to communicate with them by doing all of this crazy stuff to it and then basically, I think Vija's got annoyed with them, and then it decides to shoot a beam at them, the same as we saw with the Klingons at the beginning. Yeah. And then there's a supposedly dramatic moment where uh, Kirk is yelling at Spock to send the message. Spock sends the message, and then the bolt like evaporates just before it hits the Enterprise. Yeah. To go, oh, they received the message, and they've gone, oh, okay, you can communicate with us, because the big annoyance what Spock translates is that. Vija, the the aliens are annoyed because they're they're saying stuff and no one is responding. The yeah. Klingons aren't responding. All of the other people aren't. But it's purely because they weren't advanced enough to understand what they were saying. That is about an hour worth of film. <laughs> you know, this is this is literally thing. this is literally an hour into the film we get to this scene, and then you know the, they they sent the message. The 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 bolt is evaporated. Mm. And then they decide to go into this cloud because this is like the the size of this entity. It's like two astronomical units uh, big, which is 
huge. It's it not is... bigger than Lee. Nothing is nothing is bigger than Lee, but this is this is essentially <laughs> two astronomical units. It's like between the sun and earth, that is one AU. Mm. So it's it's double the distance between the sun and earth. That's how big this, this cloud is. Considering later on in the film, Vija gets to Earth. How? Like, if it's that big, how does it actually fit? The cloud dissipates on the way. Okay. Yeah. Because I was they, just kind of going like, what, is it going to be touching the sun? In this edition, <laughs> where they try to clear up the mess, they actually have a scene where they say the cloud, Starfleet confirmed the cloud is dissipating as it right. approaches Earth. So. Okay. <laughs> Again, another very, very long scene where the Enterprise is entering this cloud to get to the center to find out who it is, what it is, is there. And we get five minutes of just the Enterprise heading to the center. Yeah. And then they get there and then we get another five minutes where they get to the craft and the craft is huge and Kirk goes... Let's fly above it at 500 metres. And even Sulu's going, what? Yeah, like, that close to it? Like, what? You know? Well, it's not, oh, well, it's not killed us yet, so let's just let's just buzz the tower with our ship and see what it says. And yeah. we get another five minutes of the Enterprise going across this ship. And then it oh. goes to 100 kilometres kilometers out to the front of the ship. And then you're just like... Finally, it, and they, they finally get it's to just that total point. padding. It's, it's so much padding, so so much padding, and then they get to that point, and then the the entity uh, does he drag it was, them in, or does the probe come first? <clears throat> I think it's the no. Probe I, I, I don't. I don't know what happens, but basically they get attacked. So something happens in the ship, and then um, Chekhov burns his hand. That's the probe. So yeah. Something is it the probe? Yeah. Something basically something happens, and then he gets his hand burned by his console, and they're like, "Oh, blah blah blah, what happened?" Uh, and then um, Aaliyah um, comes over to him, and then is able to heal his hand. Well, I don't think she heals his hand. She basically takes, takes the, the pain, pain away. away. Yeah. So she basically makes him forget that he's in pain. She does while a ray from comes Star Wars. Over and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, while Chapel comes over and like, I don't know, sprays some Gaviscon or something on it. I don't know, you know, it just comes over with a little spray and goes, pss, pss, that'll be, that'll sort he, you he, out. He, he, it's some compressed air. Pss. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, does this feel like salt I don't have dust on my <laughs> hand. No, it's all right. <laughs> don't worry, it's acid. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> don't uh, hi, Spock. Do you remember our balance? Okay, never mind. Moving on. <laughs> But yeah, but uh, that happens, and then I can't remember what happens next. But then they effectively another probe happens, and there's loads of light around the there's loads of light around the bridge and all of this lock, and then Alia gets hit by it. Yeah. So Alia gets hit by the light, and then she vanishes. She vanishes, and we see her tricorder just clutter to the seat she was on, and we're like, oh wow, this character that we didn't really care about because she's only been in for like. 20 minutes uh is dead oh no how tragic um yeah and then everyone's a bit shocked by it and stuff and then i don't even know what happens next but something happens and then she comes back they basically. are then tracked it in to i've watched the... this twice goodwill and it's so tedious that i can't actually remember what happened they are later, then tracked it even in. though i have seen it they, they are brought into the inside of the ship 
by this mysterious mm. entity, by this mysterious race. They are brought in, uh, and they are actually inside this this spaceship. And then there's an intruder alert mm-hmm. in officers' quarters. And, you know, where best to have an intruder alert inside someone's sonic shower? Because that's <laughs> apparently where aliens like to put people. It's in a sonic yeah. shower. We see yeah, Ilea... Let's, let's teleport someone to the most enclosed and dangerous space in the entire place, you know? But then we see it's Ilea, mm. and she explains, you know, she uh, she is a representative of Vija here to collect data about the carbon-based life forms infecting the Enterprise. Mm. She then comes out of the shower perfectly closed in heels. <laughs> Very <laughs> 70s, guys. This is 1979. So only in I 79 will. could an alien have a silk robe <clears throat> and uh, natural skin heels. It is a very strange thing where you're just like, oh, it's an alien race. There, right there. On the screen screen right now. Right there, yeah. They still want women wearing heels. And you're just going, aren't they meant to be advanced? But um, I have to say, though, I do love the design on Ilya. The whole whole thing looks great with, like, the bald head and this sort of raised collar thing that go, you know, like raised neckline that goes into a collar. The little jewel. It's great design. Like, I think it's probably my favourite thing about the movie that isn't introducing new Klingons. Um, And the main theme, like, which is gone in the first five minutes. But, you know, and it's really good, but effectively what they do is they go, hey, how is she back from the dead and whatnot? And then they find out that actually she's a robot. They find out that she's entirely robotic and that Vija has basically recreated Ilya uh, from what they teleported away because they didn't destroy her they basically just decompiled her i guess and then sort of rebuilt her as a robot from you know the data that they teleported away which is kind of interesting but basically they you know the whole thing is them communicating with her is them trying to reason with this uh alien intelligence like this robot so they're having to make everything very logical so having to be like hey it's part of our custom that you have to do a medical scan and she's like oh that sounds normal okay i will take part in this medical scan yeah i will comply and um yeah and it is it's uh, it's an the one thing i will mention that i kind of like but then grated on me by the end of the movie is that literally she talks like the early sort of like text-to-speech that you got in 90s video games. You know, like the PC ones, where it was literally like, all your base are belong to us. You know, like... It's it's very... <laughs> it's it's obviously set through a, a voice channel. Uh, yeah, it, to, it's done to... through a, voico- a, a vocoder or a voice yeah. synthesizer, like... But it's... And it sounds great, but she has a lot of dialogue, and it kind of grates after a while. But, like, you know, but we learned, this distorted voice. But this is, this is a race that they they have you know they have no emotion so everything is monotone mm. everything is we are here to collect data we are here to study the carbon based light form you know everyone is a kirk unit spock mm. unit when we get to the infirmary uh, and spock mentions it decker walks in and ilia just says decker and spock goes interesting not decker unit yeah which you know they they perfectly recreated uh, ilia as this probe to every little detail where there's like little microprocessors and everything like that, but mm. the memory engrams that they've also copied recognizes Decker. 
the, yeah. the Ilea had so the, the, the funds. In the middle of this machine, there is some of Ilea still there, like memory-wise. Yeah. And then the strategy becomes, can we reason with Vija if we can unlock the human emotions and memories that are still in Ilea? So then and they then... use Decker to try and unlock that and bond with this probe, and you yeah. know they go to the recreational deck, and again it's it's a, it's a tedious tedious scene. But if, if these characters had had more to do, yeah, it would have worked so much better. That's the annoying thing. If we'd developed these characters more than just Decker being trapped like a bitch for like an hour. Yeah. and loads of long panning shots, it would feel more impactful. But it doesn't feel like we know these. Technically, we Ilea has about four lines until she's dead. Because technically, this is In a different first character. Hour. Yeah. Ilea is gone. Like, Ilea, this is a robot that emulates Ilea, but it's not the same character. So it's like, oh, wow, so I even have less emotional investment in this than, you know, it's even that. We, we see that they're trying to study it and, and Spock being Spock decides to go his own way. Mm. Uh, Spock wants to make contact with Vija. Uh, well, we don't know the name, but we know it is Vija. Is this a Spock oh, yeah, thing Vija. to do? Like, it's the whole... This is the thing where literally I blinked, okay? I think at this point, even in the second... Because I didn't... I don't think I got up to this, this point in the first watch. I don't think. Because I think this is after I paused it. Like, when she turned into a robot... It does all the cool stuff because it has my favorite scene in the whole film that is the one bit that I absolutely loved, which is they take Ilea to sick bay and then they do some tests and then they're talking outside. And then mid conversation, Kirk and like uh, Spock are talking. Uh, I think it's Kirk and Spock. Yeah. Um, uh, they're talking and then Ilea just walks through the wall. I love she that. literally just tears through the door, leaves like a human sized hole in the doorway and you can see the sort of twisted metal on either side of it and you can see nurse chapel over the over her shoulder just being like what the fuck and it's literally this uh Ilea robot just going like i got bored of that <laughs> i got bored yeah. of that i will now take in what's going on what's going on in this room and i absolutely love this this is like why was there not more of this kind of thing in the film because it's it's comedy but also scary because we're threatened by this new creature. They could have got to this point so much more earlier and then could have no. fleshed out this part. This half the movie could have been fleshed out a lot better. You, you know what I wrote? What I've written down, okay? This whole fucking thing, okay? Up to them... This is the cold opening, okay? This is the first scene of an episode. Hmm. I would have done it, if it was like next gen or whatever, I would have done it where they literally open the captain's log saying, hey... We are traveling out to Enterprise on a newly refurbished Enterprise off to investigate this big cloud thing where Klingon ships have gone missing, blah, yeah. blah, blah. We're joined by sort of uh, Decker and obviously Ilea, who is a race of special things. Have a scene like that. And then then them get attacked by the probe when they come up to it. And then, and then she reappears as a robot. And that's the cold opening. Yeah. And then the credits roll on the episode. And the first scene is her in sickbay. And them going, oh, what's wrong with her and stuff. That is, and then the whole film would be a single episode. Like everything that we saw before them getting to Vija could have been in the captain's lock. <laughs> you know, like it's that's how non yeah, it is. You know? it, it's it's 
if they'd have reduced the padding in the first half of the film, yeah. we could have It got just feels weird. This, as soon as I noticed half. that, yeah. I was like, yeah, now we're getting to an actual plot, but I'm already... I have a lack of investment now because I'm already bored, you know? It's yeah, like... and we we see Spock uh, do the nerve pinch on a poor little airlock operator with a moustache. Yeah, who Knocks is this? It... Couldn't he just go to that guy? Is it? Is it because he? The problem is Spock doesn't say to anyone what his plan is. No. So all we see is him literally going into a room. I didn't know it was the airlock. Mm. I didn't see any signs saying that. But basically, Spock goes into a room, sneaks up on a guy, nerve pinches him, and the next time we see him, he's floating through space in a, uh, yeah. a suit. And I'm like. This could have been telegraphed better. Like, because I didn't know. I, I was like, did I miss something? Like, I was tempted to re rewind and be like, did I blink and miss an important scene? No? Okay. No, well, no. Because even in, even in the director's course, he's just like, he, he, he essentially just steals an EV suit, leaves via an airlock, and then does a recorded message to basically say, I'm trying to communicate with Vidra and study more about him. And he, then he doesn't express anything before this that no. he's not happy with how they're going about things no. or anything does he no like, absolutely yeah, I, not it just so, comes out of the blue and i was like what why is he nerve pinching the, someone? the, the plan the, the plan is we've got this probe it's from vija we are trying to make contact we're trying to understand what they want blah, blah 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 and he's just like yeah cool bye goes out of an airlock and he's going i'm going to go talk to vija and you're like there is literally someone on board who can you who you can communicate yes. with Vija and who we find out later in the movie has the ability to communicate with Vija to 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 do this to do this and he's I like, don't nope. even know if they can though because it has it has scenes where they're going hmm if only we had a way of talking to Vija and she's standing right there and you're like you know and you're yeah. like you know but it's just very weird that it's, it's sometimes frustrating. she can communicate with Vija and then sometimes she can't and it, it's like I don't get this at all but it's frustrating but again it's another unnecessary shot where it's just like oh Spock's got to fly into the and I'm sorry I don't care what you call it it is an anus okay it is an anus it's anus they, they he, he <laughs> rocket boosts right up the cornhole of Vija Okay, to try and communicate. Why Spock thinks the first form of communication is pegging, I don't know. In some cultures, pegging is the greatest compliment you can give. Flies into the arsehole of Vija. Arsehole of Middlesbrough? Oh, God, no. <laughs> Flies into the arsehole of Vija. That's where you live, Chris. And, uh, and uh, it's red at the moment. Hey. Oh. Um, and then he gets to see all these... Um, packets of data and memories of Vija's journey mm. to Earth. And, you know, you always see all oh, this planet, uh, you know, where Vija has apparently come from and all the planets in the journey. And we <clears> see <throat> Epsilon 9 perfectly preserved. And then we see Ilea, who is a massive planet-sized figure with a mm. Logan's run jewel on a neck. And he and then Vo and Spock this, this Spock is what annoys me because because Spock kind of goes, hmm, the jewel must be really really important. Yeah, spoilers, it's not. It's never mentioned again. But I must melt it. Yeah, he has this line about like, oh well, the jewel must be of some significance, and then just yeah, no, <laughs> I must and, melt with it, and then he just he, he melds with it, gets an overload of information, and then gets again, sorry to be crude, shut out of the anus. <laughs> of Vija back mm. to the Enterprise where Kirk yeah. is just floating outside waiting for him. 
Yeah, that's it. There's no scene of Kirk being like, hey, where's Spock? Like, oh, he's race, outside. Oh, God, what is he doing? We must go out and rescue him. There's nothing. There's literally just, oh, well, he's just there. There is. In space now. In this, there is a scene oh, uh, is there? where he's on the bridge and Chekhov mm. goes, there's been an unauthorized uh, airlock opening. Uh, it's mm. airlock five. Um, a, a suit's gone missing. Where's Spock? We can't find Spock. And Kirk, okay. Kirk okay, instead of better. saying, Kirk instead of saying, get him back, goes, give me his exact location. Yeah. This is before we get the five minute exposition of Spock flying through Vija's anus. Yeah. He gets shot out of the anus, and there's Kirk just floating there, waiting for him. And it's like, why does it have to be Kirk? Couldn't it be anyone? <laughs> you know. Like, why didn't they beam him onto the ship? Yeah, it's like. It's just very odd because you know, but then basically, uh, then we 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 go, hey, Spock's mind has been blasted because he's he's like mind melded too far and he's had all too much information put in, and you go, oh, is this going to be a plot point where Spock actually has all the answers, but they need to get him out of the coma or anything? No, no he just wakes up. That's fine. You know, and he's it's like, oh god, he's in a coma, and then they talk and have another conversation, and then Spock wakes up behind them, and they're like, oh, hi, Spock. It's the only, the only bit of exposition. About, like, all of the missed opportunities in this plot wise. The, the only <laughs> bit of exposition we get in this scene is that Vija is a being of pure logic. There is no emotion because Vija cannot <laughs> comprehend such a thing. So when he holds Kirk's yeah. hands, he goes, "This, this simple action is far beyond Vija's comprehension." Mm. So we know that this, this machine, it is a machine is unfeeling okay mm. that's all we got from this 15 minute bit of the movie that vija isn't a more is a machine <laughs> incapable <laughs> of emotion oh my word that is it what's next yeah um i have two more notes <laughs> oh, go ahead. and there's about another half an hour of the movie left yeah. Possibly a full hour. I don't know. No, th but this is this is literally. I just gave up writing notes because I was like, oh, yeah, it kind of plays out how you want to. But but, the, but this is the thing. Vija reaches Earth, and all the way through, uh, you know, the 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 time. We didn't know that they were traveling inside Vija. Like there was no indication that while they got into v into Vija and stuff, and they were doing all of these scenes like Spock floating through it, there was no real indication that Vija hadn't stopped like that vija was still traveling to earth no, no it's a knew. bit weird yeah that they they literally go warp seven and stuff in order to sort of get to vija and then they go inside vija and then the next thing we see is oh now they're at earth and i'm like so did it just encapsulate you and travel you traveled with it and yeah. it never slowed down or i i don't know the, but they appear at earth you know? they appear the, the cloud has dissipated they appear at earth in the director's edition we get the the swanky new vfx that they've, they've redone so we we, we actually ship we actually see the 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 ship of vija this this mm. massive massive <clears throat> Uh, vessel that was right at the center of the already massive cloud which is now dissipated mm. it's arrived at earth and it is sending a signal because mm. vija wants to contact the creator so it starts transmitting a signal to earth however mm. the signal that it is transmitting is a conventional radio signal which by the 23rd century 
no one is using. Yeah. So the, the this and I will admit this is a great idea. This yeah. is the 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 gem, the diamond in the rough of this movie, is that VJ has been desperately contacting Earth for its whole journey, sending messages to Earth, and then wondering why it's not getting a response. Yeah. And what Spock finds out is he goes, VJ is looking for its creator because it's basically depressed. It's basically gone hey it's, it's I've got daddy the, issues i've studied i've st studied i've, I've studied, studied daddy. St uh, <laughs> no it's like i've studied absolutely everything i found out everything there needs to know in the universe what is next there has to be more to existence than this i can't work it out it doesn't compute logically like that you know i you know the the point of the me life the purpose of life is not logical so i'm gonna find my creator and they'll have the answers for me. So it goes back to where its creator's meant to be, which for some reason that we don't know yet is Earth. Mm -hmm. And it's been hailing its creator for like centuries with no response. And then it gets to Earth, is still con trying to contact uh, uh, the creator, and then starts going, hey, well, actually, I'm going to start attacking Earth then if it's not going to respond to me because, you know, it's... If it's going to ignore me, then I'm just going to get angry and have a tantrum ah, like a spoiled child. The, the carbon-based life then, forms are are infecting the home of the creator. That's yeah. what like Ilea says. The the probe says that's why so, they start firing out the. So things. Earth hasn't been responding to any of the messages because they're so outdated because they're radio waves, and no one on Earth, or at least in government on Earth in Starfleet is checking for these like no one's listening to the airwaves anymore because they all have better methods of communication and they VJ have takes that yeah <laughs> oh it kind of works um <laughs> god they've got they've got 6g now over there you know oh my god all the birds are dead thinking of mind control <laughs> anyway but uh, yeah uh, and then yeah and that, that's what they point out so they point out and then Vija jumps to the conclusion that its creator must be inorganic as well. It must be a robot as well. Yeah. And these carbon-based life forms must be attacking the creator and must need to be destroyed, which is why it it fires out like these five bolts. And yeah, then these five, bolts like stay in orbit. And apparently Spock talks about how, oh my God, they could destroy the whole planet if they sort of, you know, are let loose. And all the planetary so, defences are down and the only yeah. starship within three days of Earth is the Enterprise because someone at Starfleet You wouldn't have is, this in the fucking Dominion War. You, you wouldn't have <laughs> this in any decent company with, you know, competent logistics to have only one fucking ship within three days of Starfleet headquarters. Do you know, I mean, this is why... Ludicrous, like... I think this is why we see more ships going forward because they're just like, oh shit, we can't just defend Earth with one tiny starship <laughs> should we have built more ships no nah, never mind how many establishing shots are we going to do for every starship frank come on anyway <laughs> uh it's that's uh, what they were doing they're, they're too busy doing they, they finally finished another ship but they're still filming the establishment shots for the movie so it's like another five years before the next one can be released. Andrew Probert just delicately designing every single <laughs> Aztec tile on every single ship. It's just like, Andy, man, we need about 300 ships. Shh, I'm on to three. 
Let's go. Um, but yeah, in, so in forty years' time, they're just gonna do this with CG. And so, calm down. <laughs> yeah, they're just gonna duplicate the Bob, models with it. From Bob the game. Wise, Bob Wise, before he sadly passes away, is gonna completely scupper the entire establishing shot and redo it so it's better and more manageable. Oh, really? Okay, I'll just continue doing it. But Why yeah, so do I bother. So it puts these things in orbit of Earth. The defenses go down, and Vija is trying to contact. Uh, the creator and he's getting no response so the um the the video is getting frustrated why mm. are they not contacting why are they not contacting so kirk decides to call uh to de well decides to bluff <coughs> to vija uh said i know where the creator is i can mm. i i can get the creator but you need to withdraw the weapons from the third planet Otherwise, I will not give you that information. Now, this is the scene that we were on about earlier on where Spock going into the annals of Vija was pointless because Ilea, the probe, had direct contact with Vija and could control everything yeah. within Vija because Ilea withdraws <coughs> the, the, yeah. the, the so probes. Kirk calls Ilea's bluff. And Ilea obviously has a way of contacting Vija to go, hey, what do I do? Okay, cool, yeah. right, that's fine. And yeah, which basically just, but then doesn't later on. So it's odd. It's basically, is Ilea the one controlling these bolts or are they actually one with Vija? I don't know. It, Like we say, it changes between scenes. It changes. So the Enterprise, which is still inside the Vija craft. I will craft, say it is a cool scene though. I do... This is the thing. I don't like Kirk as a character because Kirk pisses me off because he's, you know, he's too toxic masculinity, masculinity for me. But this is Kirk working well. Like the fact that he does this crazy gamble and it is risky. But the fact is, he's just like, no, I get this. Vija's just acting like a spoiled child. It's just having a tantrum. That's what it is. As soon as and and then he notices that basically Vija starts like you know the there's rumblings around the ship and whatnot because Vija is like powering up weapons and stuff. Whenever Kirk just goes, no, I won't tell you that information. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Uh, and then realizes that, you know, Vija, this is how you can control Vija by basically going, hey, I've got this information. You need to do what I'm saying in order to get it, because otherwise you'll never get to the creator, and and it works effectively. But and then hilariously though, Alia does call his bluff back, you know. And but then the coin turns around, goes learns fast. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You know, it's a, the idea of he's like, oh well, you know, if you stop this, I'll take you to the creator, and then she's just like, prove you know the creator, and it's like, oh fuck, oh, never mind. You know, I forgot so, what it is, but but yeah, so she wants the information. He refuses to give the information to her. He wants to give the information to Vija directly. Call it, you know, like bluffing again. Yeah. I, you know, we need to speak to Vija directly to give the location of the creator. So the ship is then dragged further into the ship where they are brought to the creator, which this, in the original film, when the Enterprise is like at the edge where the creator is mm. and uh, like an atmosphere is formed and there's a platform... This is one of the worst looking scenes in any movie I've ever seen because what they essentially did was you see, you know, when the crew go come out to the top of the ship. Yeah, it's rotoscoped, isn't it? It's it's a matte painting that they use, but the matte painting is so bad that the Enterprise looks like a mountain. So it's like mm. the saucer looks like that. 
Yeah. So they completely rebuilt this scene in the director's cut to make it look nice and to actually must... look real. You, you honestly, I think I must have seen the director's cut then. Yeah. Because I remember this scene looking amazing, just lasting way too long. Again, <laughs> again, you are right. But the the original scene from the seventy nine movie, it is oh, horrendously bad. Like I, I have, who thought that looked good? It, it's it, it really for the yeah. longest time it really pissed me off. And then when this came out, it was like, yes, they've actually taken this scene and made it look better. It, but, if any, if they were going to redo any part of this film, this was it, and this is what needed it to be done. I. So I will say though, yes, I think this scene looks amazing in the director's cut, but I'm assuming it looked terrible. Like I say, I think what I did is originally I was watching the normal version, the uh, and that's the one that I turned off. Yeah. And then I think the next one I watched must have been the director's cut because I remember it being, you know, having looking good here. But we do raise a rather interesting question here of they are standing on the hull of the Enterprise, which is huge like it's meant to be absolutely huge but they look kind of big on it you know like it doesn't look in proportion here but they, then yeah what they have no spacesuits or anything so in vija is there just an atmosphere because the cloud has dissipated but then Chekhov they're not says, in spacesuits they're standing on the thing i've just i've just sent you the image that i'm referring okay. to and everyone um what is it on WhatsApp? It's or? on it's on WhatsApp, yeah. I have okay. sent you the oh, original, yeah. and that's how bad it looked. So oh, Chekhov actually says there's an oxygen-nitrogen atmosphere that has formed an envelope around the Enterprise, meaning yeah. they don't need to go they don't need any spaces or anything like that. They mm. it's formed around Vija and the Enterprise, so they can just literally take an elevator to the saucer section and walk to Vija. But this is the thing, it's like why? Like, did Vija do this in in a matter of seconds just so that they could walk to it rather than teleporting them to yeah. a sealed room? Like, the, the whole thing is basically, yes, I know that this could happen, but it just feels too far-fetched even for trek you know <laughs> like i'm gonna i'm gonna do some ad why does it make a bridge it it can create a nitrogen fucking atmosphere out of like you know a sort of oxygen nitrogen atmosphere out of nowhere in a matter of seconds but then has to brick by brick create a bridge to get to the middle of it rather than just getting the ship that, closer to the bridge and gentlemen, you know? that ladies and gentlemen oh, is what it looked like in the original 79 movie Mm. That is how bad that scene looked. Like it is, but scale wise, awful. they are still they still look too big for how big the Enterprise yeah. is meant to be, right? Yeah, it is awful, and I am so glad that they got rid of that. But the so they it forms this envelope so they mm. can walk to the the they could walk to Vija. They walk all the way, which looks like the um the stones. Is it Galway? That have those stones. Yeah, no, in uh, Ireland, like the yeah. Devil's... Uh, what's it called? Devil's the, Causeway. The Devil's Causeway, yeah. Ooh. No, it does look like that. Giant's it's... Causeway. Sorry, my mistake. There we go. There we go. Yeah, sorry. But, but yeah, they, this is what annoys me. When you just have these things where it looks cool and I I can be more forgiving of stuff like Discovery or the sort of, you know, the the later movies, you know, like the, the remade, you know, J.J. Abrams movies. Yeah. Because it just goes... I understand that that scene was there 
because it's a movie and dramatic effect. But then this just, it just doesn't feel right. You know, no. the whole thing of going, why is this happening? But it looks cool. I'll give it that. So we finally get the reveal, though, of Vija, and it turns out to be an old satellite. It's actually, this is amazing. This is my favorite bit of the movie is that they basically go to it and it looks like an Earth satellite. It's yep. just basically a room where all of this technology is spread out from this central point of this old, like, looking like Earth satellite. Yeah. And we get a bit of a cool twist, a bit of a cool reveal, I think. So Kirk walks to this satellite, looks at the plaque, the name plaque, V-G-E-R. Vija. Vija, mm. the music baseline kicks in. Kirk yeah. starts rubbing away <clears throat> at the dirt and the debris. V O Y G E R Voyager. A Voyager a, a, there's an A in there as well. Yeah. Sorry, V O Y A G A G E R <laughs> Voyager Six. Then they realise this is an old NASA satellite, Voyager Six, that disappeared in what we used to call the black hole. Mm. Um But it was apparently a wormhole to another uh, part of the galaxy because I, I think it's still in the Alpha Quadrant. I don't know. S Spock deduces that the satellite fell into a wormhole, appeared in another part of the galaxy, fell into the orbit of this race of machine beings who looked mm. at the rudimentary programming of the satellite, which was learn all that is learnable. Yeah. And then they created... They they decided to help it. Yeah, so basically they, they went, it, yeah. "Hey, you're you're a machine as well. You must be a really dopey cousin of ours because you're not very advanced." And therefore they went, "Oh, we're just gonna like build on you and advance your intelligence and whatnot, but then keep you doing your main mission, which is to find out everything about everything." Yeah, and so then just released it back into the world, and obviously it's been able to keep building on itself until it's become this huge ship, but. The whole point is that now it has learned everything. It's been around the whole galaxy and everything. And now it's like, what do I do next, Dad? You know, like, what, what's wants, the next bit? It wants to contact its creator. It wants to know its well, It wants to pass on the, in, the yeah, knowledge. Yeah, it wants yeah. to go, hey, I've studied everything. Here's the stuff back. But, uh, yeah. So they uh, contact Starfleet to get the radio code to uh, activate... Uh, Vija to transmit all this data. They one scene that would have been good is the poor bastard at NASA being like, "What? You want the access code for what? Oh, it's got to be here so, somewhere." Someone, you know, you know someone a sat there. scene of him tearing every single book apart. Someone like, sat there in the archive, it? going, "Who the fuck's NASA and why do I need a code?" And then just, <laughs> just like what? With, within five minutes, Starfleet <laughs> having the sequential activation code for a probe that was launched 300 years ago. Yeah, that's some really good Wikipedia you, finding. You that. try getting Tracy in the office to remember a bloody password from last week. Like, you know. You try getting British Gas to get a bill for you from last month. <laughs> it's insane. Um, but they get this, they, they, they punch in the code, and when they're about to punch the final sequence, the, uh, the probe shorts out. You see a little thing. Um, Kirk opens it. Uh, Spock opens it, sorry. And Kirk goes, the antenna leaves have been melted. And Spock goes, yeah. yes, by Vija just now. And then yeah. I, Leah... I, lo I love this, though, where it's the fact of, like, it's... And it's a it's a tactical thing that Vija has done because it is, like, 
a child effectively yeah where it has burnt out its own like you know transmission circuits so that it can't hear the rest of the code because it wants its creator to come to it to input it manually so that Vija knows that it's creator because Vija believes that only one person created it yeah. like and that it, it's not a team of people it believes there's one entity like a god that is the only thing that can come to it and give it the code that it requires to complete its mission mm -hmm. so it burns out its transmission se uh, sequence so it can't just be sent it so that god has to come to it in order to like you know help it out or else it'll destroy the thing that god cares about like earth Yep. It's a it's a wonderful little scene. Like I, I quite I really like this tactic. This is what I mean about Asimov. This whole thing just feels Asimov, you know. Well, the 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 connotations and the tone of it. It's it's absolutely all the way Isaac Asimov. The yeah. So so Vija wants the creator to be there. Decker just volunteers. <laughs> yeah, Decker has just got a demand to unalive himself, I believe, at this point. He's been cooked to the point for the last two hours, and then he goes to Kirk, you got the Enterprise, I want this. Mm. So Decker, with ob the obvious support of the ILEA probe, chooses to repair the antenna leads to begin the transmission of data, and then, you know... They, he, he they, knows... Well, no, they theorise. No, this he, is We've missed a bit. We've missed okay. a bit because they speculate, you know, that Vija has learned everything it needs to know. The next step is evolution. Yeah. Voyager wants to merge with its creator. There is other things to learn. Is there is this it? Is this all that needs to be learned? And Spock goes, No, yeah. there are other there are other dimensions, other universes, higher planes of existence. Which is the interesting thing because what happened this this is actually, yeah, you you're right. We totally missed this bit. But basically they go the if you have a perfectly logical view of the universe, then there is an end. You can just go, hey, that's that, you know, yeah. and therefore everything is very cold and there's no hope because, you know, the, the logic. And, you know, but Decker points out, but there's loads of stuff. There's like other dimensions. There's other like this, that and the other. There's religion. There's like belief and faith and stuff. And Spock is like, yeah, but when you're logical, you can't believe in that because you can't believe in another dimension unless you can access it. So what they realize is that Vija's next evolution is becoming human, like or at least gaining human traits so that it stops being so logical. Needs so that a it needs human can actually, element. Yeah. yeah, so it can actually do this leap of faith that allows it to find out more stuff and continue going on and learning new things. And that's when they realize oh, it needs to merge with its creator, a human, in order to actually go, oh, you can think outside the realms of logical possibility. Which is cool, because this is the wonderful thing. This is Spock's plotline, where he's gone around going, because the whole thing about Spock, throughout everything, throughout you know original series, the movies, and like, Strange New Worlds, is he is conflicted because half of him is human with emotions and irrational irrationality and then half of him is Vulcan where it's purely logic and he has to sit in the middle going both of these are valid in their own way but they don't work together and he's tried to be fully logical he's tried to be you know get rid of all emotion and stuff and he's found that it's empty he doesn't actually enjoy it at all like it's not for him uh, and then 
in Strange New Worlds, we see him try to be fully human and emotional and we realize that it's not for him. And what he's realizing here is the sweet spot is being emotional enough so that you can enjoy life and you can actually progress as a person while being logical enough to be productive and like be stalwart it's, it's and, a symbiotic relationship between yeah. two sides and we see that with spock uh, through his evolution that he ca he can't be pure vulcan he can't be pure human mm. he has to have a symbiotic relationship with both parts as is vija who is a purely logical machine can you know continue to learn because they now have a symbiotic relationship with them their merging with a human yeah. you know with a human with with their creator so that they are able to then learn more and 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 understand higher planes and understand religion like you said and and mm. what it is to be to feel and to become human so yeah, to make leaps of faith yeah. so that you can actually progress because what we have with science is a lot of the reason why science has progressed is because it's not logical because we do just go yeah there's a big missing gap here there's a big question mark in the elemental table where we know something must exist but we haven't found it yet but we know it exists because of this that and the other yeah which is illogical effectively you're going hey you believe in something that you can't prove because you know of these other factors and it's it's how everything works so it's the fallacy of being purely logical which is what we see it's just annoying that it feels unearned that this is like spock's plot arc for the film because it's told so badly but yeah. it's great the starting point of he's trying to be fully logical and it doesn't work for him and then he ends up realizing oh i there's a balance but it just doesn't pay off properly because it's very badly handled but oh, basically what we have is we have uh decker going hey i've got nothing else to live for uh this robot here looks like my dead love so i might as well be with her as a robot creature kind of thing or as a thing so i'm just gonna uh un unalive myself to save the universe and then i'll merge with vija merge with vija so does but that. doesn't merge with vija merges with the probe yeah, it's like the probe comes up to him, and then there's a, it's in the sequence it's in the, the banner there. You see the the, the, uh, the fan machine and the backlighting. Yeah, yeah. Where the, the annoying thing is, this would look way more dramatic had she got hair, because basically we have this fan from under them, so his hair is billowing around and blowing up and stuff, and just nothing from her because she's bald, and he's just going like, "There we go, there, there it is." There. Which is which is but the thing because Persis Combata has lovely hair. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I've seen her in other movies, and she's got lovely black hair. And he was like, to see that with with Decker's just little quiffs going on, but with yeah. long hair doing that, going upwards as as you see this 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 evolution, this this evolution this merging of two beings together mm. it would have looked aesthetically more pleasing had she got hair um yeah. but again it made no sense but the, you know they it's, run towards... it's another thing of the film going style over substance yeah and so it would have looked better and it would have worked better in this scene but they had decided that she needed to be bald because 70s aesthetics yeah so like, that's what sci-fi is we then see that Vija evolves, uh, goes to another plane of existence, we suspect, because we don't know why. It just vanishes. It, it just we vanishes. We never hear of it again in Trek. <laughs> we, then, we then see another pretty uh, image of the Enterprise, and then just Kirk speculates, have we just witnessed the birth of a new species, uh, of a new being? And they're just like, well, yeah. 
and McCoy's just like, it's been a while since I've delivered a baby. Yeah. And it's like, I think and the line falls as flat as his other yeah. jokes, even though that should be hilarious. But it's just, and then the movie, the, way ends, the film does it, is, you, you know, know. The, the movie ends, you know, let's give her a shakedown, set a course, or yeah, that away. And then that's oh, yeah, it. I, see, I quite like this. It's like the sort of thing of if this was delivered, same as the other things, if this was delivered in a normal episode where it literally has them going, hey, okay, well, that's done. We're next to Earth. We should take the Enterprise back into like, you know, uh, space dock and whatnot. And Kirk's like, no. No, I'm gonna stay in charge for a bit longer, and then you know they go. Oh, yeah. what, what? Uh, set a course. Where do you want to go? That, that way. way, and and it is. It works. It's a fun, fun little thing from William Shatner at the end, but it falls flat because the movie just doesn't suit they, it. They did it better. Yeah. They did it better in Star Trek Six because he quotes Peter Pan. So you just go mm. second star to the right and straight on till morning, and it's brilliant. This one, it's just like ah, that way. At this point, though, when they did the film, they didn't know that it was going to turn into a whole series of films. This was just a, a one yeah. shot to see what they could do. And even in the credits, like the human adventure is just beginning. Um, no one knew that there was going to be a sequel at this point. Everyone in the cast thought mm. that this was just a one and done. That's it. The band's back together. We've done this. We're off now. Now, I put it to you, Science Officer Sinoise, uh, because the... Mirror Universe Sinoise, even though I've totally forgotten that because we've been this for two hours. That's fine. <laughs> this movie was going to be used and linked to the Borg. Wait, this was going I... to be the origin. This was shot down by Gene Roddenberry very early yeah. on. But this, the, the machine beings yeah. who constructed Vija were going to be the Borg. And really? like Gene Roddenberry said, they can't be because the Borg cannot exist without the biological element, whereas mm. the species that was in the motion picture, they were pure machine beings. They were pure logical, where yeah. the Borg's motivation was assimilation, was was we need our biological and technological mm. to keep us, you know, we, we need everyone's distinctiveness uh, to be our own and we need to learn from other cultures so I'm sort of glad they didn't use Vija as an origin story for the Borg because it would mm. not have fit. I don't know, though, because the, the problem is I remember hearing this ages ago because obviously it's the natural fan theory that yeah. you come up with because it's so A to B. Yeah. But it's the fact of I remember sort of going, oh, what a cool idea that would be. And then I looked into it and it had people asking Gene and he's like, no, of course not. What a stupid idea. That's not, you know, that's not yeah. the intention whatsoever. Like, you know, you know that thing where someone just goes, no, that's not a thing. Like, you know, and you're like, oh, well, he is the creator. So I guess what he says goes. But the whole point is, though, isn't that what happens at the end of this film? Isn't the end of this film go Vija going, hey, technology works really well when you yeah. add a human to it so surely this then going into the borg being created is the natural development like you they could, could have they could have just seen. springboard from this to the borg where vija has forgotten like you know or vija's gone like oh wow i am the next stage of evolution i should take over everything i am the best way of doing things you know I I I'm one of the people who's just like yeah that would work really well. They they like, could have they, they could have didn't go with it. They you know the 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 race that sent Voyager back could have mm. studied the information you know observed oh the 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 biological and the technological were 
were born together, which mm. allowed them to ascend into a new understanding and a new, you know, gather more information. And no, never, <laughs> never, ever happened. Wait, the, it's the also next the idea angle. of going that we're saying that this Vija hasn't actually gone that far. Like it hasn't gone to sort of the Delta Quadrant or anything like that. It hasn't gone that far out. But then we still never, ever, ever hear of this machine race again. But this is the thing. Like... The, the last time it is actually showed is quite recently in Star Trek Online, which is obviously hmm. based beta canon. But then they're like, they they did a whole arc about Vija, but a mirror universe. Haha, <laughs> Vija. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was, you know was hell-bent oh, wow. on just total and complete destruction of carbon-based units. But then yeah. they sort of elaborated on the whole uh, vaporizing probe thing. Yeah. And they were like, it doesn't actually kill you. It converts you into data packets and well, you are they stored. They say that in the movie, though. Aaliyah says that. Aaliyah says that all carbon units will be translated into data in order to be analyzed. But in a twist in the game, because it gets mm. to the point where the game where... This 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 version of Vija has encapsulated has, has entered the solar system and slowly starts uh, converting every planet. It goes all the mm. way to Mars, just completely transfers Mars into a data packet, gets to Earth. Yeah, you know, you defeat it, you you sort it, and then it just goes. Oh yeah, we could just revert them back to normal now. So then Jupiter Station is back, <laughs> Mars is back. All these people that died. That's such a fucking cop out. Are back, <laughs> and I'm just like what like that that's such a that that's not what happened in the, so you're telling Knife me for nothing <laughs> yeah so you're telling me in the movie those klingons died uh all the people that he studied that the the epsilon nine station just died they could have just been transferred back to normal it's a bit of a cop-out even ask they never asked like vija hey can you just bring ilea back like they never yeah. even consider it they never go hey could we actually have the space station back you know no no, they don't do if that. If you have learned everything that needs to be learned, surely you would know how to bring someone back to life if it was possible. So, wow, we did it. We did it. Like, I'm sorry, anyone watching this, uh, fans in the chat or whatnot, that um, I have been so overly critical of this film. But it's the fact of, as we see from last week's episode where we were talking about the wonderful DS9 episode Bar Association... There is big gulfs in the quality of Trek. And I will say that if I don't criticise this, you know, then I'm kind of insulting the really good films and the really good bits of the original series by not holding this to account for just how annoying it is that it's such a wasted opportunity and how it just doesn't use these characters that we love very dearly properly like you know that that is what annoys me about this film like all these little bits where you just go that could have been great but it's not it shit like one thing i haven't even talked about i hate the aesthetics of this film the special effects like the ships look amazing and stuff all of the costume designs are awful. 70s all of the colors are colors. awful like yeah they're just silly things like you know kirk's captain's chair it's got these random weird foldy side things in that we never see in anything ever and it's so dumb it's just i i hate the design of it you, did you see the um the the security guards where they just look like stormtrooper type things where they've got a weird helmet on and they've got a weird sort of chest 
plastic bit on it all everything looks terrible and all of the color scheme looks like a damp swatch palette from like sort of you know a, a paint catalog it's very 70s and it's very 70s uh concept and it's very ralph Macquarie, um mm. who did all the you know like the, the, there was a there was a book right. um that was established canon until the next generation it was like mm. the history of uh starfleet from you know 1962 to to, to 2101 blah 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 and yeah. um, and it's got these lovely, lovely illustrations all the way through, like the history of space flight and man walking on the moon and stuff like that. The design in the in in this film is very seventies. At the end of the seventies, it's very uh, mm. brown, very yep. cream, very a brown, grey, very grey, pastel, yeah, Debbie pastel, Debbie pastel. <laughs> but it's like everything <laughs> is everything is dull, and what you do notice. There is no red shirts yeah. in any of the but, uniforms. It's brown, it is beige, it is blue, it is white. Is that because the red shirt thing was a trope and they were actively avoiding it? Yes. At that point, right, yes. okay. But the uniform, I mean... We, we I mean, they might see... as well have put Ilea and fucking Decker in red shirts and just been like, there's the plot for you. Yeah. you know, but, we created whole new characters. I wonder if they'll die. But we will <laughs> see... <laughs> In Star Trek Two, the massive, huge overhaul in the aesthetics, in mm. the costume design, in the special effects, in everything, because <clears throat> this was just the pilot. I'm just going to say it's the pilot movie. Yeah. That, that they were like, we did this. Let's not do that again. Let's redesign because <laughs> the costumes, yeah. the costumes. Let's be honest, it was just tight tennis shirts and then <laughs> nightgowns. That's all it, just... it was. It was 70s just, swinger chic. Oh, that that awful... What's that awful outfit Kirk has later on? I think at the end he's got like a white sort of like sleeveless like jacket or something. And it just... It's the ugliest thing I've yeah. ever seen. No. And just all of it... The, the only costume that looks good is Robot Ilea with the yeah. big collar and the bald head and the gem. That looks, that looks good. That looks iconic. Everything else just looks... Awful. You go to and, any Star oh. Trek convention or any Star Trek gathering or anything mm. like that, I guarantee you, no one, and I mean <laughs> no one, is cosplaying from the motion picture. There is nothing for sale mm. for the motion picture because it's just like original series, Wrath of Khan, everything else. Because the design... I mean, what is that black thing that they have at the centre of their stomach? What is that? I can't even remember. It's yeah, exactly. Just... Like, what is the point of it? Kirk's Admiral's uniform looks good. That's it. Everything mm. else is, is like you said, it's a dull pastel. It's a dull coloured range all the way through. They blend into the scenery so much. Yeah. Because you've got Uhura, Chekhov and Sulu. They're in beige. The Enterprise Bridge is beige. The carpets are brown. Everyone just blends you, into everything else. Do you reckon this is a response to Star Wars? Because obviously one of the things about the original uh, A New Hope is that everything is like the Jedi are in brown robes. Darth Vader is pure black. You know, like everything is like uh, deserts and these kind of colours. And even the greens look kind of pastel and whatnot. And it's... I wonder if maybe they're just like, oh, well, that's the palette that works for sci-fi. You know, yeah. I, I, the, the, the thing is, 
I did not enjoy this movie no. at all. It has little gems of information that are great. It would have worked so much better as an episode of the next gen or the original series. Yeah. 50, 50 to 60% of the movie is the movie introducing itself as a movie. So it's basically the whole, hey, how does McCoy get on board? Oh, look, a horror's just beamed on board. Oh, look, Spock's arrived. Ooh, you know, and he's just going, why Why did we need to do this? Why did we need to spend so long having the gang getting back together? Like, And I know at the time the fans were like, oh, we haven't seen them for ages, so we need to introduce them. But then it doesn't introduce them. It doesn't go, hey, it's a horror. Let's give a horror loads of cool stuff to say now that she's arrived. No, no, she's just here now. Right, great. This, you know, this <laughs> Sit was, down, woman. You know, <laughs> It was a financial success because every Trekkie just wanted to see the band back together. Yeah. Story, no one... And I mean, this is, this is straight from Rick Berman's mouth. I hate straight. <laughs> this is from Rick Berman's mouth. Your who, face makes that worth it. Who, who phrasing. I've who, said that before. <laughs> I, I remember this interview in 2001 when it was Star Trek's 35th anniversary. Oh my God, 35th anniversary. Um, <laughs> sorry. Mild existential crisis just came upon me. Um, it's 58 <laughs> years old now. Me realising buddy DS9 is the 30th anniversary last year, wasn't oh it? God, <laughs> You're it just was, like, yeah. oh, wow. Um, right, anyway. <clears throat> 30 years since Star Trek Generations. Kill me. So, um, Rick Berman, during the interviews, they were on about um, when the motion picture came out. Paramount didn't... <laughs> ironically, Paramount not caring. Paramount did not care about the story. No one mm. cared about the story. The audience did not care about the story. They just wanted to see this crew on this ship going out on an adventure. And it was yeah. a financial success. And what, what I find hilarious is, and this was actually on um, this was on the Shuttlepod show. This mm. was Walter Coyne's um, interview. They, and it was on, it was on a few other interviews as well, they saw the screening of the motion picture. They were at the, the premiere at the TLC in LA. Mm. When it was over, everyone just stood up and looked at each other and just went, yep, yeah, that was a movie. Okay, <laughs> see you later. Was it? No, but that, yeah. that was it. Everyone <laughs> thought that was it. It would be mm. done. Until they got the phone call a couple of years later for mm. the Wrath of Khan. Without this movie, with without the motion picture, I love how we you know put that not... back on camera at Goodwill. <laughs> I love <laughs> how the cover of it that is more exciting than the entire film. That is more colorful than the entire film. Like there is no red or green that bright in the entire movie. You know Ooh. that is what is really frustrating about this Ooh. is the box makes it look way more exciting than it actually is. You know. But that's that's how you draw them in. You need a good poster to draw people in. Of yeah. that time, very much like video games. Where was the, the red in the film? But very it's just much all fucking blues and greys. But very much like video games of the eighties and nineties, you needed a good cover to bring people in yeah. because there was no such thing as the internet. There was magazines, and that was it. 
I was actually I was watching an amazing YouTube video. This is total total tangent about the uh, I think it was the Ultima games and whatnot, yeah. and about how they were one of the first games to go. Hey, if we spend a bit more money on the box for this, and we have a big fancy big box for this with like you know fantasy artwork and like dramatic stuff on, then people are gonna buy it just to see what the game's like, even though the game looks you know like crap kind of thing. It was a good game, but it looked like crap. Um, you know, that was the first time that happened. And it became such a trope of basically going, yeah. whoa, make the box art look really amazing so that people pick it up and whatnot. And well, it's, it's a tactic that's always existed in marketing, I guess. But, but ironically, the color scheme in this box art, we then see in the Wrath of Khan. Mm. So <laughs> that will be next month, though. Our February oh. review will be <clears throat> Star Trek II, the Wrath of Khan. Fingers crossed I will have <laughs> the correct uniform and not a TNG Generations bastardization mashup that I hobbled together because I've been painting uh, all day. Hold um, on. Fan, fan, uh, fans, in the chat, okay, if you're in the chat watching this, do you care that Goodwill is not wearing the correct like captain's <laughs> uniform to the film we're talking about? Sure. This is this is such a big deal for you, and Let I'm just going fun. like this is not a big deal for anyone that isn't you. <laughs> Let me have fun, um... <laughs> but like when you're getting like anxious about it, I'm just going like yeah, but you know I'm just rocking up in a fucking velvet shirt, you know <laughs> me overthinking with my reputation. Oh my god, speaking of, we've got an incoming transmission. Incoming transmission. Miles. We don't have these in the mirror universe, Miles. We just have people tying notes to rocks and chucking them at us. Ladies and Ooh. gentlemen, tracks and trackers, it has been absent for a few weeks, but it is back. The double wheel of episodes. For those playing the home game who are new to Trekking Up North, the double wheel of episodes has every episode of Star Trek, Bad Discovery, programmed in. Shut your pretty face, movie universe, Sonoy. <laughs> Has every episode of Star Trek in existence by Discovery programmed into it? We spin the dabble wheel of episodes. And whatever it lands on, we must review the following week. Sonoys, or Mirror Universe Sonoys, or whoever the hell you are. <laughs> Goth Sonoys. Goth Sonoys. Gothic. You one of them Goths? Gothoys. Gothoy Goth. What are you hoping to review next week? If you <laughs> yes, say Code of Honor, I'm going <laughs> to slap you. Okay, okay, good. So, Rosa, uh, oh, I actually, um, the problem is I don't want to be boring and say more DS9 because, you know, I'm, I'm, I need this palate cleanser. Uh, I need more DS9 to get the bad taste of this out of my, um, mm, I, I, I do want anything from DS9, but I don't know. I'm thinking like, Obviously, I'd love a good episode of DS9, but I'd also love a good episode of the original series Ooh. to redeem it. Because obviously, we've had a series three episode that we had a lot of problems with two weeks ago. Oh, we had the Menagerie. Like this movie that I don't think... We did have the Menagerie, but it was a while ago. So, yeah. Spock, but... Spock kidnapping a disabled person and putting them in the broom cupboard. <laughs> I love when we broke down the plot to, you know, like, that's the thing that appears on Amazon. That's the thing that appears Spock on Netflix. Spock is a really like, shitty synopsis. care worker. Yeah, like, <laughs> Spock kidnaps a disabled person. Oh, I love that. A Sinois <laughs> synopsis. A Sinois... A Sinois... Sinois... A synopsis is basically what it would be. like. Um, I am hoping, and I have said this since we started it, 
I'm hoping for Enterprise. Yeah. I, we, I, we need one. We, we have need DS9, one. so it can, it can happen. The Dabber Wheel isn't just limited to original series and TNG. We, we Apparently, need... even though I programmed it. What what I love about doing Trek and Up North is we have got fans. Uh, we've got we've got people who weren't fans <laughs> well, of Star Trek. We've got fans. Surprisingly, um, <laughs> we have got people into Star Trek. And what I love is when we review the episodes, we get the viewers to review them with us. And yeah. Enterprise is something we have not covered yet. And I. I I love Enterprise dearly. I have got a very, probably tear-jerking story to go with my love of Enterprise, which will mm. probably have people going, oh, he's a bastard, he's made me cry. But <laughs> it, it's it's something that, when it came out, I was, because it was 2001, so I was mm. uh, 14, 15 years old, and I got in on the ground floor with, with Enterprise, mm. um, and I was heavily invested in it. And I was deeply upset when it was cancelled. Um, and it's something so personal to me because it, it represented mm. an era of my life of change. Um, but then there was other uh, stories to go with it. So I, I really yeah. am looking forward to, after this speech, the double wheel landing on Sub Rosa because that's what's going to happen. It's going to be a season <laughs> That's one. what it's going to be. It's going to be fucking Code of Honor. Like, it's be Code of this honor, is the it? really emotional reason why I need this to happen for me. It's fucking original series. Oh, it's Spock's <laughs> brain. Oh. Spock and Mock. There we go. There's the middle ground. Spock and Mock. Right. Are we ready <laughs> to spin the wheel? Okay, come on. I hope you're already watching this. I, I hope remember. you're already all at home to yell Dabo with us. That's what I was about to say. When it lands, we all yell Dabo. So I am going to spin now. Oh, my God. The anxiety. I always forget about the anxiety. Oh... Double! Double! It's fucking original series again. Hate. <laughs> By, By any other, any name. other name. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what I remember from this... I, I, I feel like I might need to put the Dabo wheel into the repair shop and play around with it a little bit. <sighs> Maybe to skew it slightly because it is totally random, but mm. what I remember from this is Scotty drunk and someone asking, What is it? and he goes, It's green. <laughs> That's all I remember from this episode. Right, I'll get the synopsis. <laughs> oh. After your emotional thing there. Admittedly though, I didn't actually see anything for Enterprise appear there in the Dabo wheel. Have you fixed this? The episodes. Have you fixed this, you bastard? <laughs> no, no. I... I think you've fixed this. You think I would choose this if I could fix it? If I could fix it, in gen... well, no. <sighs> if I did choose to fix it, it would be Sabrosa every week. <laughs> okay. Just to see your face. Okay. So this is season Ghost two. Fuckers. This is season two, episode twenty-two. By any other name, Star Trek: The Original Series. The mm -hmm. synopsis. Galactic alien scouts capture the Enterprise for a return voyage and a prelude to invasion. Kirk's one advantage. They are not used to their adapted human form. Mm. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Treks and Trekkers, next week we will be reviewing Star Trek the Original Series by any other name. God help us. 
in reviewing another original series and Sonoy's going, this is why Kirk is a dick this week. Uh, <laughs> Please let it be a good Kirk one. Please don't let him be I'm a not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. It's just because it, it, it is just, you know, when you feel like a broken record being like, yep, it's me complaining about Kirk again. You know, it's just. I am oh. not going to tell you. But next week, by any other name, the original series, the 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 information will be in our Discord when this episode goes live uh, due to our very loyal Discord creeps who are now into Star Trek. It's on Netflix it. Chris, in the UK. Chris jumped, Chris jumped ahead to DS9 after we were singing its praises on Bar Association. So he was posting about how he's just like gone, oh, right, I'm on to DS9 now. And I love that. I, I love that, you know, we sold it so heavily. Chris, when you finished it, to it, when you were finished DS9, come back to us, Chris, and tell us how it changed your life. Mm. Because That's it will. It. But, but this episode will be available on Netflix and Paramount Plus and online somewhere. Dodgy up north. <laughs> Guys, this has been Trekking Up North. If you liked this video, please click that like button. If you are not a member of the Nerdy Up North YouTube channel, click that subscribe. Caress the bell. Ooh. So you know whenever we upload a new video, which at the moment is every five minutes. Because, <laughs> holy shit, we we are uploading shorts left, right and centre. Some of which it, I don't amazing. know going up. Some of it's, which it's is amazing. me singing. <laughs> I'm 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 just lucky that I've never actually said anything funny on Nerdy Up North. So like Paul barely ever gets to put clips of me up, so it's quite good. Yes, the Firefly bit where I sang Hero of Canton is on a YouTube short. I'm so, hey, it's good though. I'm it's... so incredibly happy that fat version of Goodwill is singing on a YouTube short. I, I love that <laughs> I love that you're just like, oh it's fat me, and we're just like Is it? <laughs> like, it's fat me. I had a double chin. <laughs> Um, oh my god, I was I was two pounds heavier back then. Oh, oh shut it, I was... <laughs> yes. um, we have an amazing... We have an amazing Facebook... I'm not laughing. We have an amazing <laughs> Facebook community. So if you want to join us there on Facebook, we've got the Nerdy Up North community. We've got a Nerdy Up North page on Facebook. We have Twitter. We have the Tickies and the Tockies. We have Twitch, which I am a proud member of. And we recently <laughs> played Wheel of Fortune when I was high on paint. We... Are... <laughs> it's funny because it's true. That's, it it that's really is. Everything was red. Um, I went bankrupt because I was high. Uh we are on uh, Twitter, like I said. We're on TikTok. You can follow me at Goodwill Nun on the Tickies and the Tockies. We are on Blue Sky. We are on Threads. Sonoise, where can we follow you? Even though it's in the description below. Places, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm on. I'm on Twitch. I am the Velvet Snatch on Instagram, and that's my drag account. We are putting a lot of wonderful interviews. Uh, if you check Girl Global, G-U-R-L Global, uh, on all of the social media platforms, we are posting a lot of the interviews that we all did at DragCon with famous drag queens from around the world. Yeah. Those are very fun, and there's a lot of silly, silly videos of us from the weekend, if you're interested in RuPaul's Drag Race or drag in general. Uh, and that's it. There's other stuff, but I can't be fucked. <laughs> the motion picture has ruined us mentally. 
Hey, also, if you are a big fan, if you're watching this and you are a big fan of the motion picture and you disagree with the things that I've said or that Goodwill said, please message us. Because it's the sort yes. of thing of, I have, I, you know, I've been very nasty about this movie. I've torn it apart. I'm saying how much I don't like it. But the idea is, this is probably someone's gateway into Trek. Yeah. This is probably someone's only, like, first Trek thing they saw and they loved it. They thought it was amazing. And then they've gone the other route of like next gen coming out. And they're like, oh, it's too flashy. And there's all these red people, like people wearing red and stuff. And there's like, you know, not big pauses between scenes. And I I find that fascinating. So if you are a big fan of this movie, please join the Discord. Please get in touch with us on X or Twitter or whatever the fuck it's called now. And yeah, tell us about your experiences. Because I'm open-minded to rethinking this movie. But I've sat through it twice now, and fuck that. <laughs> I went out to to the wild and bought the four. I nearly Ultra bought HD. this Goodwill. Yeah. I nearly bought this, and then I watched it, and I was like, "Oh, fuck! I didn't buy that." Like I... that is that is the most over overpriced like what is it drinks mat I would have in my house because it would never be watched again. Basically. I... I had it on DVD and I thought, no, I'm I'm going to view because every month I'm going to buy the 4K UHD version of the movies. This is going to be my way of upgrading my library whilst <laughs> producing a show. So I'm happy about that. So I, I've gone the whole hog and I started with the first one. I saw the rest of them and I was like, ooh, pretty, but ooh, no, I don't have money. So <laughs> every month I will I will review the 4K UHD version. I mean, to be fair, for value for money, I have got. Uh, that's an Assassin's Creed game because it's still in my uh, PS5. <laughs> but uh, you get three discs. You do get three discs. You get two versions of the film. So you is get it an extended cut where there's like two more lines of dialogue. This is the the director's one is the extended cut. That's the thing. So you get a 4K UHD version. You get a 1080p version. Uh, then special features and then another uh, UHD Blu-ray full of bonus features. There is. I think it's about 29 hours worth of content Bloody on this hell. where they go through the movie, what happened, interviews <laughs> and everything like that. So for me... Imagine imagine if it was like all of that, like 29 hours of content and it's literally just they extended the space dock scene. They just extended it to be just, even longer. It's just Jerry Goldsmith freestyling to a star yeah. film. That's all it's, it is. It's, the, it's the, the musical bit at the beginning, but like... 20 hours long I mean, you know, and, he just, and then he just goes into the exact same movie afterwards if it was 29 hours of them just rotating around the Enterprise for me <laughs> that is my kink I would be happy with that so <laughs> game on and on that note, I think it's time to end the show, don't you? <laughs> right, guys, this has been Trekking Up North. We will see you next week. Until then, stay safe, take care of each other, live long and prosper, and we will see you next week. Bye. Alia looks like Cynthia from Rugrats, putting it out there. Miles? Miles? Miles. Miles.